This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Honestly, if you could see me now, it's a bit like that episode of Breaking Bad. Basically, uh, there's a fl- if you hear any buzzing, it's a fly that's got into this flat I'm in at the moment, and I, uh, yeah, I can't catch it. I can't let it out. The windows are open. Um, it's not having any of it, so that's where I am. Um, how are you? How has your week been? Hey, listen, do you remember a couple of weeks ago with the Rachel Jackson episode and we, I don't know, we took a an off-road turn, as we always do, and we started discussing about subtitles on, on, on films. Um, a listener got in touch with me on Instagram and sent me a message and she said, I found it really interesting, that conversation, because she's a teacher. And they have found that if children do watch films with subtitles on or television programmes, it really helps support their reading. So there is method in it. That's an interesting fact. I do love it when people get in touch after the episode with a little snippet of something that they've taken and ran with. Remember, you can always get in touch. Uh, I'm on Instagram, cparkinson76, um, Twitter, at twoshotpod, Instagram, the same. You want to drop us an email? You can do that. You know the email. What? You don't know the email address? Go and get a pen. Okay, well, sharpen the pencil then. Good. Ready? It's twoshotpod at gmail.com. Now, this week, I'll be perfectly honest, um, I've had loads on this week. It's been really, really tricky. I have pinned down a couple of guests, but we just couldn't make timings work this week. Um, I've got some recording to do over the weekend. Um, So what I thought I would do is revisit an old episode for, for, for these specific reasons. What with all that's happening in the UK at the moment, and I've got lots of lovely friends in the hospital... I say it. I've got lots of lovely friends in the hospitality industry. So I want to go back and I want to replay uh, the episode with Chef Gary Usher, because it's really interesting. And I think what with restaurants, you know... That, that, oh, we're open for uh, we've opened for a week and now I've been told we've got to shut down because of the track and trace system. It's been happening all the time to different pubs and restaurants up and down the UK, uh, and I'm sure across the pond or wherever you're listening now, it's happening. Um, and it happened to uh, at least one 
restaurant that I know, which so happens to be Gary's Restaurant Carla on King Street in Manchester. Um, and I know from today, I believe they've just reopened, um, having shut down. But the thing is, yeah, they do shut down, but, you know, food just doesn't magically um, stay fresh if it goes shut down. So they'll have lost not only our custom, but all that stock. And that's really hard with, with the stop and start stuff. So that's why I thought this week, if you haven't heard Gary's episode, that's why I thought we, we'd throw that one out to you this week. This is why I'm recording this new intro. Um, if you've never heard it, my God, you are in for a treat. So we need to wind the time back. It was, I believe it was December of 2019. Um, Gary came to meet me in Manchester and I thought I'd do something that I hadn't done before. So I, I prepped for a few, everybody knows that I like, you know, I like to cook. So I thought, well, Craig, um, you know, uh, step up and, and cook for, um, an incredible chef, put your money where your mouth is. So I spent a couple of days making, um, making a chili. Uh, you may think, oh, Craig, no, 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 no. It's not just a chili. There are many, many different elements and components. It takes a long, long time to make. And I thought I'd feed uh, lovely Gary Usher. And the thing is, I'd never met Gary before. He was coming to my flat. I was heating back up this food that, that I'd prepped for a couple of days. Um, I'd already tested it out. I tested it out on a couple of friends. They both said it was delicious, but still, you never know, do you, when you say, of course they're going to say it's delicious, but I already knew, having not met Gary, but I did know from his social media feed and a documentary that, that we talk about that's on, that was on Channel 4, this guy pulls no punches. If he's not going to like my food, he is going to tell me. So I thought I'd make things extra hard for myself and feed him at the very start of our conversation. Um, and if he hates my food, it's going to be an uphill struggle for me. Um, let's see if he did enjoy my food, shall we? We are winding back the time with this Two Shot Podcast episode to celebrate our fantastic hospitality industry. And this is the quite remarkable Mr. Gary Osher. Enjoy, and I shall see you at the end. Yeah. 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 Um, that was me just checking the levels because yeah, usually nice. my producer does it. <laughs> I just do the talking. I don't really do the technical <laughs> stuff. Um, he's teaching me as I go along. But, you know, we've been doing this for about 100 and eight episodes or whatever it is now yeah. over two years I should really know a bit more shouldn't I no you do your bit he does his bit exactly um I was all I was figuring out how we could start this conversation yeah and I thought what I would do because I've never had a chef on before yeah. is this where you cook for me is this where cook for you some food <laughs> uh, now you got are you nervous Gary about you cooking for yeah. me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <a little bit. laughs> Please don't say it. I've tried it. Well, I'm going to lie anyway. I'm going to say no, it's lovely. Well, that's, that's, that's what you can't do. You can't lie. You have to give okay. it to me straight. No, I'm too polite for that. No, no, no. Yeah. Look, 
I'm not. If someone gives me some yeah. horrible food, it's going but back. You, but you like cooking, I can tell. I do like cooking and I like my food. Okay, but um, I think you'd be offended if I said it was shit. I don't think I'd be offended because I don't think you would be that obtuse. You would, you'd probably go, do you know what I think? I would have done this and I would prefer this because you're a professional. It's yeah. like if you're, you wouldn't, um, I wouldn't come into a kitchen and talk to you about, and you won't walk onto a film set and yeah, talk to no, me about yeah, acting, would you? Yeah, so it's like, no, yeah. but I think it's a, it's a nice meeting. We have, um, we have this thing where, if depending on the level of the chef, when they start, in, when they come for an interview, depending on the level that they're going for, if it's, if it's a super junior level, then we won't bother, but anything past chef to party, which is, which is a chef that is going to be responsible for a section, mm. we'll ask them to cook for us. Um, and would they have to cook for like a, a group of people? No, it, would, it depends who's there. So it'd either be Rich, the exec chef, or me, or both of us. Mm. Try not to be both of us because we realise that that's intimidating. And that's the last thing we want. Um, but because um, you want to, you want to make them relax. Not yeah, put, it's like you don't want to put yeah. them under an exam condition, yeah, do no, you? No, no, Christ. And it's not as even. It's not like I hear stories of people because this is it's a common thing in the chef world. And I hear chefs saying, "Oh, well, we just ask them to make a hollandaise, or we just ask them to." fill it that or do that and for me it's not about that for me it's just to see i just want to see what type of person they are and i think uh and and particularly if they're going for a sort of sous chef or head chef level then i'd like to see uh how uncomplicated things should be mm. so uh simplicity you're kind of looking for so it's not okay it's not a test we're trying to just see what see what they're about type thing but sometimes fucking hell you sometimes it's it is like these. I'm surprised that they're a professional cook because it's fucking awful sometimes. Really, it's fucking awful. And you look, and you look at it, and you can see that nerves do play a big factor. But I don't ask for it in ten minutes. I'll say to them in the morning, "Listen, we're going to be working until about midday, and they'll be there at nine in the morning." So I'll say, "Listen, at twelve, can you just make us something?" Make us a dish up, make us a dessert, make us a main course, make us a starter, whatever. Something that shows their personality about yeah. the who, what yeah. type of cook they exactly, are. Exactly, yeah. And so they've had all morning, they've been through all the fridges, I tell them they can use anything, anything. In, the, anything in the kitchen, and fucking hell, some of it's disaster. But like you said, I would never say, <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> so, obviously, I'm just, to be honest, the thing I always say when it's really bad um, is I just say, listen... Because they tell me first as well, because most people know when it's really bad. They know themselves. Why would they serve it if they thought it was bad? Because they're in the shit, they're nervous, and, uh, and they've just fucked up. Or, or maybe they, just, they were just on a bit of a blag, and they, just, they weren't good enough for the job anyway. And, they've, and, and this is where we found out type thing. Um, and I'll just say, listen, if somebody asked me to do that on a, on a job interview or on a little trial, I'd fuck it up. I'd completely fuck it up. So whatever you've done good for you don't worry about it i would never in that instance i don't i would never critique it they'll always ask me what did you think of it and i'll say great good effort good effort but then behind closed doors i will speak to rich exec chef and i'll just say listen they ain't fucking, <laughs> yeah like look they are they're not even close to what we what we would need or what we're looking for at that level but yeah i yeah no but I, if i was if i was cooking something and you know this is from me who just cooks at home, do you know? But if I wasn't happy with it, I wouldn't serve it. I'd go, no, I'm not, yeah, I'm not in, having it. In that instance, though, and particularly if the if it's an open pass where they serve the food in front of you, there's mm. fuck, they're, 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 they're there, there's nothing they can do. All right, well, they could it... put it up and then say, chef, 
I'm not happy with it. And they do do that. And that happens a lot. They'll put it up and say, chef, it's, it's, I just want you to know I've done it. It's here, but I'm, this is not where, this is not how I feel best. This isn't my best attempt. But, but if I was going for an audition and going to meet a, a film director I really respected and I yeah. didn't feel that the work I'd done on the script or I could connect myself with this part, yeah. I wouldn't do the audition because then it reflects badly on me. The last yeah. thing they remember is someone that comes in or that kind of tried but it didn't yeah. fit at all, it wasn't working. I'm just going to give this a stir because yeah. I don't yeah, want yeah, to stick it. it. Yeah. See? It's got to be some sort of casserole or some sort of... Well, we'll see. Cassoulet, Cassoulet, I reckon. I, I should have looked at it on the way in. I think you've got like beans in there or something like that. Some sort of, some sort of. I've definitely yeah. got beans, Gary. Oh, for fuck's sake, it's beans. It's beans on toast, isn't it? <laughs> well, so, do you know what? It's funny. I was, I was thinking about it the other day. It's funny you say that. I was living in Malaysia for six months, and the food over there was just gorgeous. It was amazing. Mm, all that street yeah. food, mm. but it's all so full of sugar and yeah. I find myself you, you know you drink a really cold beer because it's so yeah. humid yeah. at the end yeah. of a day's film and you're having all this gorgeous street food mm. and I was going for a swim and I went jeez I've put I mean, I'm not fat but I've yeah. put on a right load away yeah, from eating yeah, that yeah. for a few months yeah. and I got really sick of the Malaysian food because it was just I was just gorging on it all the time and I really wanted beans on toast yeah we're having beans on toast aren't we we're having beans no but I had beans on toast in Penang right yeah with like proper Horrible white bread. Yeah. And it was the nicest beans on toast well, yeah. I'd ever yeah. had. You needed it. You just needed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do does... When you're out of the kitchen, does your life still revolve around food when you're out at home? No. I, um, I so... Um, the last... Particularly the last 10 years with the restaurants. Um, so taking over the first restaurant, Sticky Walnut in Chester, that was three years of my life. So, solid in that restaurant mm. I, I didn't even the the place that I was renting at home I, I had never even turned the oven on so for three years I hadn't even hadn't done anything in the kitchen and it's got a little bit better over the last 18 months two years but still I, my my life isn't a home life my life is just the work um and, and there's so much of it now I mean yeah there's so much of it um I mean, there's loads to tell you about it today. It's not, it's not easy for me to tell you in a sort of, you know, a couple of sentences, but I don't, it's difficult to explain because I'm not in the restaurants anymore cooking every day. I don't, I'm, I don't do that and I don't want to do that. It's the last thing I want to do. Right. Um, uh, but my, I'm still completely um, submerged in everything else to do with the business. Um, so uh, home life and that type of thing is something where I feel like that's um, in, the next, in the next 10 years to come, um, hopefully. So it's all been a little bit uh, work, 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 building up what we've got today, which is at the moment is six restaurants. and Six now, yeah. Yeah, yeah and hopefully a pub on the way. So once all that's out of the way, then, then I can start cooking at home again. Yeah. Do you think you'd, you'll enjoy cooking at home now? Because, um, because you, don't do, you don't cook in the kitchens anymore. I mean, later on, yeah. you'll get there. I don't know, you know, I... Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, when I am in the kitchens now, I enjoy things going well, the same as anybody does. So there's a hell of a lot of satisfaction from something working. So mm. from, you know, baking an amazing tart. Um, I've had the custard tart twice. Yes. Don't want to talk about it. I had a yeah. really good chat. I had a really good chat with, um, 
Oh, what's his name? I think it was from Derby. Young lad from Derby. Uh, Danny. Danny. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. last time I was in Carla, yeah. I was by myself. Yeah. And we had right a good chat about yeah. food. And he was telling me, if his pastry isn't put, it ain't going out. I'm going to make another <laughs> one. I said, I love that. I love that, Danny. <laughs> yeah, he's a good lad. He's, um, he was in the documentary, actually. He was... Um, he was, um, he, he played quite a big part in the documentary, actually, because they filmed him and uh, what he'd been up to and our relationship and how, just how we, how we met, that type of thing. Um, and that was, he was, God, he was 16 when we met and that was in the first restaurant. And he sort of, um, he's, he's worked in four of the restaurants now. He sort yeah, of he was stayed, telling me. Yeah, he sort of. Stayed with me for a couple of years. Then he went off to London, worked in a Michelin-style restaurant in London. He's where, come did he, back. where did he work in London? Uh, so I worked for Angela Hartnett, who has Murano and Cafe Murano's and that type of thing. And um, I know Angela. I met Angela oh, years okay, ago. Cool. Yeah, bef- before, before she had um, her restaurants. I think it was oh, wow. still when she was working for, for Gordon, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, yeah. She's um, lovely. She's really yeah, lovely. she's an amazing woman. She is absolutely amazing woman. Amazing woman, amazing, amazing businesswoman, amazing chef. Um, and uh, yeah, he went and he went to work for her. And he's had a few struggles though. He's had a few sort of personal struggles, and uh, like a lot of us do. And then particularly a lot of chefs as well. Um, we struggle. With, this isn't it, by the way. I've yeah, just put something down on the table and pushed Gary. And his fucking face went. <laughs> Parkinson, what have you cooked for me? Yeah, that's not even cooking. Wait there. Wait there. This is a podcast exclusive. I've never done this before. I've never cooked for anybody. Now, just listeners out there, some would say, Craig, what are you doing? Well, I mean, you're going balls out cooking for a chef. Um, you know, I, you know, some would say foolish, Gary, but I think, why not? In for a penny. Well, no. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to it. Good. Yeah, that's I'm looking forward to it, yeah. Although that does look... Whatever you have just put in front of me there does look a bit odd. I'm, it's I'm not... just green yogurt, Gary. <laughs> Greek yogurt and baked yogurt. Greek yogurt and baked beans. Is that what we're having? Greek, look, it's a tried and tested black hole <laughs> recipe. Don't knock it. Right, we're nearly there. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. I, uh, well, yeah, a bit worried. Yeah. You know what? I'd be worried too if I was in your position. <laughs> You were confident about three minutes ago. Oh, no. If I was in your position, I'm confident. I'm in my position. I'm really confident. I'm not sure about... You know, if ever people invite me round to their house for dinner, I'm not... I don't know. I do get a bit worried. Yeah. Because I've got quite high standards. (laughs) So that's good. Are you saying that you'd complain at a friend's house? No, I wouldn't complain at a friend's house. No, what the heck? No, I, I would... If it wasn't right at a restaurant, I'd send it back. Yeah, But I wouldn't want them to fix it. I'd go, no, it's done. Really? Yeah, pretty much. Really? It would, dep- uh, it would depend what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a tricky one, because I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with um, websites like TripAdvisor and, uh, and, and also the type of guest that, that writes on there a lot of the time is the, is the type of guest that will be pretty difficult, to, pretty difficult to manage in a restaurant. And it's... It's great when people tell you what is wrong when they're there so that we can fix it. But sometimes even that doesn't go down well because people can be pretty fucking rude about how they approach it and it doesn't need, yeah. to, it doesn't need to be. No, I mean, I think if things are constructive... Yeah? Right, yeah. Gary, what we got? there you go. We've got... Uh, it's a beef brisket chilli. Yeah, I kind of guessed it right. 
You did. There's sort a bit of, of, bit of Greek yogurt there if you want it, but you know I, what? It looks it looks nice. There's three different types of chili yeah. in. Yeah. And can I load the yogurt on it straight away, or you, do you want me to taste it without it's it? Totally your call. Go on, man. let's have a go. Let's have a, call. let's have a go without it first. But I'd like you. So first. How have you cooked the brisket? Slow, slow braise mm. for about five hours mm. with chili. Mm. I'm not going to give all my secrets away, Gary, mm. on the podcast, no, on, but no. I'll uh, I'll tell you. But I'm sure you probably know a you lot know what? more it's than delicious. me. Seriously, it's delicious. It is. Mm. Yeah, it is. Nice depth of flavour, I think. Lovely depth of flavour. This is my type of cooking. Definitely. Really, you're looking at me like I'm making it up. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, honestly, you know what I'm doing? I'm trying to find my phone because I need a video. <laughs> this is great. No, it's really good. It's really good. I'm, I am going to have some of the yoghurt on it, though. It's really good. Yeah, it's got a bit of punch there. Uh, yeah, that? a little bit. I like a little bit of a kick, though, so this is, this is my type of heat. Good. Yeah. Um, but this sort of slow-braised, rich... Meaty, hearty, rustic. This is this is everything about what this is everything about what we do in the restaurants. So yeah, this is right down my street. This well, is... do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking we're up in Manchester. Mm. I mean, luckily, I mean it's cold today, but I was up and out at nine o'clock this morning. There's a beaut- there's not a cloud in the sky today. Yeah, but for the past few days it has been pretty cold. And mm. I thought, well, what am I gonna what am I yeah. gonna do? That's quite kind of scares me. I'm gonna mm. cook for a chef and I'm gonna cook yeah. him a chili because mm. we need a bit of the ready you know bre- ready bread glow. I'm going to be, you, I'll be honest, I'm quite surprised. It's, it's fucking delicious. I am quite surprised. Sorry. <laughs> that's really, that's no. offensive, isn't it? No, that's, oh, yeah. no, that's, I, do you know what it is? Yeah. That's honest. And, yeah. I, and yeah. that's what I like. Perfect. Mm. And really even good. if you didn't like it, mm. I'd go, right, okay, well, what don't you like about it? But I'm pleased that you do. Oh, it's delicious. Brilliant. Really good. Right, we're going to, I'm going to carry on eating. Yeah. Because it's nice. Yeah. I'll just well, add, it's your dinner. add yeah. a bit of sushi for my, for my lunch. Nice. Yeah, nice. It's nice. Um, so, that's good. That's a scary thing out of the way, for me. Yeah. Now we can just talk oh, right, about so now, now, we can, now we can turn the spotlight about you, Gary. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Has it always been about food from growing up? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Because um, where are, where are we? Because you're quite clearly not from Manchester. Yeah, so uh, all my family from down south. I was born in St Albans, so Hertfordshire. Mm. Um, Dad's a lifelong Watford supporter, so... So we're, we're from down that area, um, and then uh, folks moved up here when I was uh, eight or nine. And, yeah, um, food, yeah, is not something that I wanted to be involved in. I had no interest in it. Um, and even when I did get involved in it, I didn't want to do it. And I was, to be, I, was, I, was, I was quite ashamed that I was working in pubs and, and doing what I was doing because... Why were you ashamed? Um... I, um, I, I sound like um, hard done by, but mm. I really didn't do very well in school. I'm badly dyslexic. Right. And um, I, my brother and sister, my sister had, she had been to uni, come out with a degree. My brother was in the middle of doing a law degree and there was no chance that I was even going to, I wouldn't have even been able to get in the sixth form, let alone get to uni or continue studying and um did you feel that there wasn't support at school for the dyslexia i it wasn't that i felt it there wasn't i was going back sort of what 25 years now there wasn't there wasn't so was it acknowledged that you were dyslexic or were you just kind of pushed aside and go oh well they're 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 a bit stupid because my my, my little boy has dyspraxia okay um so it was it was um we caught that very early on yeah 
when he was like three or something. Yeah. So we constantly giving yeah. that help. And it's funny, a lot of actors I know are, are dyslexic. Okay. And nowadays you get a script, a script yeah. sort of shoved in your hand and go, oh, can you come and do this the next day? And you go, well, wait a minute, I need to make sense of this. I can't get round yeah. it. Well, it's similar with recipes and that type of thing. For well, I was going to say, yeah. Yes, yeah. So let's um, go back to school. Sorry, mate. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to make my mum and dad proud and I wanted to be like my brother and sister and I, I wanted to go to uni and do exactly what they did and that was what they aspired to, I guess, and I aspired to the same because I looked up to them because of my brother and sister. Mm. And, um, and there was no chance. So, and the, so at school, dyslexia then, it, wasn't, uh, it, it was about, but it wasn't really considered. It was a case of... I was wasting people's time and I was being naughty and I didn't care and I was lazy and that type of thing. It wasn't, okay, maybe he really just, he can't do it. So that made it worse. It's kind of uh, self-perpetuating, I guess, because I was not getting the help that I needed. I I hate sounding hard done by, but it's it's true. I wasn't being supported at school. Mm. So I ended up being a little bit naughty. And um, So it obviously made you feel like you wanted to rebel. Uh, was it like that? It wasn't that I wanted to rebel. No, I just I couldn't do it. I had nothing else to do. So I was I was be sat in a class, and I, I it's even now. I it's funny that we're actually uh, ironically on a podcast because I've only just got into podcasts in the last sort of month, and um, this is for me. This is this is amazing because I can't I can't, I, I sound stupid, but I can't read. Not in this. I can read a book, but if I, if I get to the bottom of two pages. If it gets to the bottom of a page, I, I, it hasn't sunk in, and I'll read it again, and I can read, I can read the same page eight times, and uh, and it won't sink in. Yeah, I can read, but it just doesn't sink into my brain. So, um, yeah, so so doing doing this kind of stuff is is uh, is much better for me, and I can understand, and I can I can learn like this, and I can continue learning without reading. Mm. Um, but so even the listeners love this love a podcast because they can get on with doing whatever they're yeah. doing and they're still learning about people yeah. and, and things and feelings as they carry on the day-to-day definitely, life you know definitely it's been it's been a real insight the last few months listening to podcasts i'm like a junkie with podcasts i've been listening to one after another fucking tell me about it mm. i know they are <laughs> yeah. very addictive aren't they, they? Are. They there's are. all sorts now i mean yeah i, I don't listen to many sort of one-to-one, that's my fork dropping. I don't listen to many um, one-to-one interviews anymore because obviously that's what I do when I'm, when I'm not acting, but there's something out there for, for every yeah. type of mood and every type of yeah. person, and I love it, and it never stops. You know, yeah. It's always growing. Someone's always recommending you something all the yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. They, they've, been, they've been brilliant for me. Um, so let's go back to school, Gary. Yeah. Well, when, you, so when you say you were... You know, you got bored. There was nothing else for you to do. Yeah. So going back to reading. So, mm. I, so I, if I was in a lesson, I just didn't understand what was going on, and I wasn't getting any help. And so I would, I so I'd end up being naughty just because I, I, I didn't, I couldn't do what was in front of me. So I was just, yeah, I ended up being naughty. Um, but I was still, I was still, I, I was still felt quite ambitious as a person. I still remember how I felt. I still, I wanted to be better, but I couldn't at school. Um, so I, I was working by the time I was sort of 14, um, working, washing, washing dishes in a pub and I just fell into it. it well, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to, I wanted to earn money, but I didn't want to cook. Um, I didn't particularly want to work in a restaurant, but, but I was, and, and it just fell. it just, it just carried on from there. Um, but when you asked me why was I embarrassed and why was I ashamed? And it was because, you know, I was, uh, uh, 
I ended up leaving school and so I was finished at 15, 16 and I was working full time in the same pub that I'd been washing dishes in. And, um, and Were you I, still washing dishes at that time when you left? Yeah, yeah. I was still washing dishes, yeah. So you starting obviously right at the bottom. Definitely, yeah. And Even, um, even though you, you didn't really realise that this was going to be the career, did you? Well, I didn't really want it to be, but I also felt like I probably had no choice. I felt like there was a couple of other options like bricklaying, which I also did for... Um, on and off for a few months at the same time. So I was, I was sort of understanding that whatever I was going to do, it was going to have to be using my hands, uh, not necessarily using my head in an academic way. Mm. And that was it. And then I was just in kitchens and that's how food started for me. It was definitely, there's no, there's no sort of love affair with food. There's no, uh, there's no romantic stories of me. Uh, yeah. Getting into food with, you know, a relative or something like that. It was just, I, I was into food because I felt like that was my only option. Um, so I was, yeah, I was pretty down about it. And the ashamed bit and embarrassed bit is just because other friends were doing, were continuing studying. And then, like I said, my brother and sister, they were so successful and academic that I just felt, I just felt like a loser, to be honest. I felt like a loser for, for, for years, for years in it. When did that change? Um, when did that change? <sighs> God, I don't know if it's ever changed. Um, I, it's, I'm not a very confident person. Um, it sounds silly. It sounds really silly, but I think, uh, a, a, a couple of things that have always made me feel like less of a person. And one of them is not being, uh, academic and the other one is being quite short as well. I know it sounds like a really silly thing, but when you, it's almost like you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder about those two things and those two things will particularly the academia thing, it's, it will always be there. It will always be yeah. something that I think about and it will always be something that makes me think like um, I'm, a, I'm a lesser person than the next. Well, it's funny because I was talking to a stand-up comedian the other day who did not connect with education at all and just became the class clown and never became a stand-up comedian until many, many years later. But he had a, a real chip on his shoulder that, about the class divide system and people who were much more well-educated than him. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he was quite bullshit about it. Yeah. Excuse me, until it was doing him a disservice. You yeah. know, and he was taking that into various different jobs and coming in like a bull in a china shop. And he realised that it wasn't healthy for him. And then he just kind of stopped and just went, I kind of don't give a shit anymore now. And he's, and he's yeah. much better about it. It's interesting how confidence plays a part, though, and I don't. Yeah, it's not. It's not very easy to control. I don't think I can. You know how you're explaining that is. You know that you you suddenly realise potentially that being bitter or resentful about it isn't going to get you anywhere, and that's true. But from a confidence point of view, that comes from within, and I don't. I'm not sure that that's something that is very easy to change. No, I don't think it is. But sometimes we put on a false. Um, impression of who we are. I know I, I've certainly done it. But coming from, um, you know, I come from Blackpool. Yeah. And then I moved to London. And then I, I'm at awards dues and things like that yeah. with you, the Oxbridge types. Yeah. And, you know, who will, would, you know, would talk down to you. Well, yeah. even if they didn't talk down to somebody like me, I would certainly feel that they were. And maybe they weren't. Yeah. But that was like my confidence. Yeah. So then I yeah. would... I remember years and years ago, like in my 20s, I would become more northern 
Yeah. To, to, <laughs> to, to, to prove to them, yeah? If you're going to speak to me like that, then I'll become exactly what you think I am. That's exactly what I would do. It's funny, I but think. That's a, that comes with a confidence thing. Yeah. And so many people aren't hmm. confident. And I think some people who portray themselves as sort of so uber confident hmm. and they're really not i mean they're yeah. crumbling inside but they're yeah. just probably better at masking it than some of us yeah definitely i yeah. think i don't know yeah. you know these are all no, sorry, it's... I'm still eating it yeah good, good good <laughs> uh no it's true and um like what you said about uh people pretending to be i don't know if it's pretending to be something you're not but um you know, I guess essentially it is, but I think so. So many of us do do it, and not necessarily in a in a nasty way or manipulative way. But the person that you are putting out there that you want people to think that you are, I don't know. It's quite a. It's a it's tricky a, one to navigate, isn't it? And yeah, I think, and it's tired. It's tired. It's, it's it makes you tired being like that. When does it ever stop? I don't know. You know what? It stops for me a little bit. The uh, insecurities and confidence and stuff like that. I don't. I think that that's going to be a struggle for me. My, I don't think that I'll ever get around that. I think that's going to be a problem for me for the rest of my life. Um, uh, but accepting a little bit about uh, who you are and to other people, um, I feel like sometimes maybe that gets a little bit easier when you finally. I don't know, it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but when you've almost, when you've achieved a little bit, when you've actually succeeded in something that you have planned to, I feel like it gets a little bit easier to be honest about yourself. Um, before before, uh, before I, I had six restaurants and things were going okay, uh, I was probably quite manipulative in what I would put out about myself so so that people had a certain impression of me whereas now I'm probably a lot more honest and I think that it's because I feel like I can do that because I've kind of got somewhere a little bit so it feels like it doesn't matter if I tell people exactly who I am and exactly what I've done mm. including all the bad things that I've done um because I have uh because I've got somewhere if you know what I mean whereas whereas before you're, I'm constantly trying to get somewhere and, I, and I'm feeling that I need to be a certain person to get there. I think it does get a little bit easier once you, once you feel like you've achieved something. Do you think it's also because you're more grounded with who you are like today as opposed to what you were? Um, I was thinking about how Yes. That, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right, definitely. How does or how did your confidence sort of manifest itself in the the kitchen environment? Because if you're taking control and you're mm. leading all these people, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you, there's got to be some yeah. sort of yeah, self-assuredness no. about that, surely. Yeah, there does have to be in that. Um, yeah, there does have to be. You're exactly right, and it's a little bit different in the kitchen, and I can't explain why. But when I, when I had a senior position in the kitchen, as soon as I started having responsibility in a kitchen, I guess confidence in the kitchen was very different for me as it was for being outside of the kitchen. So, um, at work in the environment, I guess I was quite confident once I, once I, um, once I became professional at cooking. I think yeah, I was probably. 
yeah, I was probably quite confident. I was also in the age of kitchens where um, shouty, macho mm. was was a thing. That was how kitchens were run. Um, and I, 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 I guess I sank into that quite easily at the time. I got I got out of it quite quickly as well, particularly when um, I started opening my own places. But before that, yeah, I was definitely uh, yeah confidence wasn't a problem in the kitchen. Yeah. Because it's like, I suppose it's like you're going into the arena or you're going on stage. So there's it, you're, there's a, a yeah. persona, I suppose. Yeah. And we all remember those types of kitchens. We've all seen them on the documentary. We've all heard yeah. the old Marco Pierre White stories yeah. of what it used to be like. Have you seen it slowly change over <laughs> the years or have you made a conscious effort since opening your restaurants to go, well, I've seen how... And I've grown up having, like, no conf- no yeah. control over... I-, I can't change this kitchen because it ain't yeah. mine. But once I've got mine, then maybe I could? I don't know. It's, um... I... Uh, somebody has helped me a lot and that's somebody that's joined the business and that's the exec chef, Rich. Um, because... Okay, so if I, if I look back to the way that I was trained... Um, when I started in the better kitchens, I had some, like what you were saying about the Marco times. I mean, I remember one chef, um, <laughs> one chef, I remember this one. We, we, can, we can edit and beat okay. names, Gary. You, you name and shame who you like. I'm no, I, you know what? I don't, it's, it's not even about naming and shaming because I don't, um, I don't resent the person that did it to me anyway. Right. But um, I remember one service where everything was going wrong. And I was cooking fish on a on a hot starter section, and and it was going wrong, and I was having problems with the uh, kitchen porter, the guy that washes the dishes, and the fish that I was cooking was mackerel, and I needed a cold pan each time to cook it. So you have to put this the the way that we were cooking it was this the the skin went uh, into the pan into the cold pan, and we brought it up slowly, and that's how we got the crisp skin. And I was saying to this kitchen porter that was uh, throwing the pans on the stove to me once they were clean. I said to him, "Listen, please, just do me a favor. Just don't don't put the pans on the stove. Put them on. Put them in front of me, because if you slide them on there, by the time I've turned around, they're hot, um, and I'll put the fish in. The skin will curl up, and then I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in trouble from everyone here." Yeah. And uh, it sounds like such a small thing, but um, it was a heated service, and uh, and the section that I was in, I was kind of uh, almost barricaded in by the head chef who was stood next to me. And the kitchen porter was kept throwing the pans on the stove. Oh, they kept God. being hot. So I was putting the fish in and they kept curling up. And I got angry with the kitchen porter and I uh, said a few words to him. And then the head chef uh, turned around to me and he said, uh, he just went on for, he went on for probably a couple of hours, but he said, you know, you, you're a fucking useless cunt. What is wrong with you? And then it went on for a couple of hours, but he was asking me questions in front of all the front of house staff because the, they would they would line up in front of this in front of the pass, waiting for the for the dishes, you know, with their hands behind their back, very sort of uh, French uh, military style, and they'd be waiting, watching until the plates come up. And the head chef was saying to me, "You know, you're fucking useless. You're useless, cunt. It's always you. Tell me what's wrong. There's something wrong at home, isn't there? You've got family problems at home, haven't you? What is it? Tell me what it is. Tell us. Come on, let's get it out in the open. You're oh, fucking God. useless." It's, it's this, isn't it? It's something at home, isn't it? It's, there's problems at home. So, come on, tell us, tell us all, tell us all. And that went on for, it went on for a couple of hours. And, um, but that was, no, that was normal back then. Really? That, yeah, fucking hell. That was so normal. That was normal everywhere. I mean, that's um, like kind of what I envisaged the army to be like. Uh, it, you know, well, you it, see Full Metal Jacket or something like that. Yeah, go, that's... it was like that. 
it was like that. And all kitchens were like that. Um, Brutal. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we talk about mental health a lot now, um, as we should. And, mm. um, and those types of kitchens have not done any, any good for, for, for that. But the kitchens have changed now. But what happened was, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. And like I said, the, the more that I kind of getting where I want to get, the more open I can be mm. and honest. I've made lots of mistakes. And when I did open my first place, I was a bit nasty as well. And, which, um, what, which was the first one? The first one was Sticky Walnut in Chester, and that was in 2011. Right. Um, and when that opened, I had so... Uh, this is not an excuse, but the time I was under a lot of... A hell of a lot, so much pressure. So much pressure, and I was... Because running. of its opening? Because um, of everything. Because of everything. Because of the because of the money, because of the people, because of, because of everything. And... Um, and I was running uh, the I was running the kitchen, but I was also running the front of house when we first opened. And uh, I, because I'd been trained in that environment, I I wasn't the better person, and I I didn't have a strong enough character to be able to say, just because I got trained like that, I'm not going to train everyone else like that. I I was quite an angry person, and I was angry in the way that people were angry with me. And um, I I changed as we went on, but it but the person that's really uh, changed my the way that I am and um, all my views to kitchens and, and 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 restaurants in general is a guy called Rich that started as an as that actually started um, as a chef to party in that restaurant with me, and his uh, take on people and and just just work in general um has changed my has changed my my whole outlook on it and it's great because it's changed the whole business and it's changed the way that we all are um do you think if you carried on down the angry road we wouldn't be where we are now um no because i'd already no it wasn't that bad i hadn't got to by the time richard joined i'd already completely mellowed out i wasn't i wasn't like that anymore but Rich was the first person to join the restaurant that was, you know, even um, even silly sort of slang words and silly uh, things that in in 25 years ago weren't even considered sexist or homophobic or racist. Rich would come along and say, no fucking way. You can't fucking say that. Like, no, we don't say that. We th- this is not the way it's done. And... Uh, no, that is not acceptable. And uh, in kitchens, because most of them are full of guys, which is a, which is a disaster. They're so much better when it's uh, balanced, more yeah. balanced. Um, but be, with them being full of guys, a lot of the time that sort of macho rubbish that goes about, you end up in a group, everyone's laughing at the silly jokes. Rich was the first person that came in and didn't laugh. He didn't laugh at the jokes. And... And that was such a breath of fresh air to yeah, me, and I yeah. thought, "Fuck, you know, this is what this is great." And and I started really looking up to Rich, and and I started thinking, actually, I want to be more like that as well. Well, it's incredible uh, when those people come into our lives, and we might not think we need them at that time, and then oh. they do, and we just learn so much from. And, we, and it, all it takes is that yeah. little change. Definitely, all of it's so fucking basic as well. Mm. It's so basic. You know, things that could upset other people aren't funny. It's as fucking simple as that. Yeah. And um, and kitchens have been historically known for, you know, bully, bullying. I was going to say sometimes, yeah. I mean, my impression, I've never worked yeah. in a kitchen. The closest I've been was 
an apprentice butcher when I was yeah. when I was really young. Yeah. When I was just trying to make money to go to drama yeah. school, the poor butcher thought I was going to stay on and take <laughs> over. I said, I'm going to drama school. He was fucking livid. But I did learn how to make sausages. So yeah, that was great. Know, every cloud. But I also always get the image. Maybe not so much now when the certain restaurants I go to and there's an open kitchen and it can't have that atmosphere. But when I think back for when I was growing up, when I was just fascinated with food and kitchens and cooking, quite a bullying, aggressive it was. manner. It was. And without, without people like Rich changing it, it, it's, it still would be. I mean, things just aren't acceptable today as they shouldn't be, but mm. it still needs people leading that. Um, well, we all have to, you know, make those changes in our different yeah, fields, don't definitely. we? Are you, you and Rich sort of making a concerted effort to try and get more amazing female chefs into your restaurants? Or, or, or you... look, look, I can't, I can't, <clears throat> I can say that I can, I can give you the perfect answer now, and I can tell you yes, um, because that's what I want people to hear. But, but no, I'm not. So, because, and the reason I say that is because there's a, there isn't a way that I can actively do that. We actively make the kitchens nice places to work. Mm. Um, we actively, obviously, don't discriminate when we uh, do trials, but there isn't really a way that we can search to have more uh, female chefs in the kitchen. 100%, if they are the right candidate for the job, they get a job. Um, but uh, there isn't a huge amount uh, of female chefs coming through at the minute. But, you know, with what we've just been talking about, it's hardly... It's hardly a surprise. Yeah. But, um, but, but, but the kitchens have changed so much in the last five or ten years, so they are better places to work, and kitchens 100% are better places to be when and they are more balanced. a more welcoming environment for, for acceptance of people to work in. Definitely. We, um, we're lucky in the sense, in the, you know, in the six restaurants, five of the general managers are female. Um, and we... No, it's great. It's great, but in, in in the kitchens, we just don't get so many CVs coming through. That's that's the that's the simplest reason of why they are top. It's heavy a real lads. shame, isn't it? It's a real shame. Uh, I mean, I understand yeah. the fact that as as nobody would, you wouldn't just take somebody on who couldn't cut the mustard for the sake yeah. of ticking a box. You just wouldn't yeah. do it because everything reflects upon you. I understand that, but yeah. I think it's a real shame that more young female chefs aren't coming through. Yeah, I, again, I can lie to you and, and tell all, all the listeners here that there, that there are more female chefs coming through. But at the minute, I, I can only base it on my own experience mm. and with the six restaurants and the, the hundreds of CVs that we do get. It's, 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 it's male heavy, yeah. Wow. It really is. Wow. Really but is. at least you're making an effort to change the environment that oh, it isn't what it was like. Yeah, no. we've, we've done more than make an effort with it. It's changed. It's, it's completely changed. We're not in that... Do you think it's changed across the board? I mean, I know you can't speak for other people's kitchens, but from what you mean, you must, you know, yeah. you must know, you know, lots of other chefs, so you know what it's like. From what I know, yeah, it's changed. It's changed. I'm sure that there's still lots of kitchens that are fucking horrible places to be, but uh, from what I know and what I hear and what I see, um, yeah, it's changed. Well, it's that can only changed. be a good thing, can't it? It's going to be a positive. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Let's go back. In the kitchens before you realised that this was something you were going to do and you yeah. were just there because there was nothing else to do. Um, 
what was was there a starting point for you where you went okay well look i'm in here now i've gone through the pot washing what would be the next step it would be what vegetables well or? yeah in the place that i was working it was a pub so the next step was doing things like making salads and make do, doing garnishes and that type of thing and the, the pub that i was in was quite a simple pub so i'd moved from washing dishes to making club sandwiches or uh getting a garnish ready for a burger or something like that so yeah. simple steps but that is your sort of entry into into a kitchen like that um and then i think the the real big turning point was when i worked in a place in chester called the chester grosvenor it was a, a five-star hotel with a say, yeah. michelin star restaurant inside and it was the first place that i worked where I couldn't believe that there was actually so much attention to detail to food. So the, the, a moment that sticks in my head that's really sound, it's going to sound so silly, but um, on the section that I was on in the Chester Grosvenor when I was there, I think I was cutting lemons for a smoked salmon starter and I'd, I'd cut all the lemons and one of the sous chefs came over and asked me why I hadn't taken the pips out that you could see in the, in the quartered lemons. And it's, it's such a, a basic thing, but I'd never done it before and... It's that sudden realization that uh, yeah, there there is much more attention to detail, and and it, and, it, and cooking can go much further. Obviously, pips in a lemon is a is such a basic example, but um, that was an introduction of to what else there was out there, and that and that made me realize that you know there was much 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 better restaurants out there, and actually, I'd probably like to try and work in some of those. I was going to say that this sounds like a bit of a turning point that you think right, okay, I'm going to go for this. Well, there's a bit of a catch. So <laughs> <laughs> it's never easy, is it, Gary? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so uh, the, yeah, that hotel was amazing, and it definitely did give me an insight into what else was out there. But um, I had the type of, the type of person I was, and the people that I was hanging around with. We'd sort of gotten into uh, the sort of recreational drugs, and um, so you know, weekends where I could, I was out taking ecstasy and that type and. Um, speed and this type of thing and going going clubbing and i was heavily into music and uh into into dance music house music yeah and um and i was loving it i was really enjoying it um i was i it was it was you know it's funny because it's actually what one of the only times in in my life that i've actually feel like possibly i had a bit of a happy medium of a work-life balance <laughs> i'm not saying i want to take ecstasy on the weekends now but I really do look back at those days as being able to think, you know, I was working hard, but I was also enjoying myself and I haven't had that for 20 odd years where yeah. I've enjoyed myself as well. But uh, yeah, I'd got into the sort of the the house scene and I was, yeah, taking these drugs every weekend and really enjoying it. And part of that life for me was the, was I, Ibiza was calling and they, that was huge for the, for the club scene at that time. I mean, I, I guess it still is, but I don't know anything about it anymore, but um. I went on holiday there the first time. I think I was 16 when I first went to, to Ibiza on a, on a sort of uh, lad's holiday. Absolutely loved it. Um, came back, um, booked another weekend out there, this time without anywhere to stay. One of my best friends at the time, we went out, had another amazing time, sort of hedonistic, just 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 what you can imagine, really. And, yeah. Um, and I, think I, we, I think we can all imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. And look, you were working really hard. Yeah. You were playing really hard. And also you were a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And I, I came back and I said to everyone in, in the UK, I said, look, I am, I'm going to go back out there, but I'm, gonna, I'm not coming back. I'm going to stay out there. And everyone's, you know, whatever. And I said, no, I am. I said, I'm going to get a job out there. 
And we'd gone to this place called Cafe Mambo. So there's this strip and it's got Cafe Mambo, Cafe Del Mar in it. I don't know, I don't know what's on the strip now, but I know those two are still there. And um, we'd gone to this place, Cafe Mambo, and we'd all loved it. And we'd sat watching the sunset, you know, drinking and doing all the other stuff. And I said, I'm going to get a job there. And everyone said, fucking whatever. And, um, and my... And to, to, to chef? Pardon? To, to, to go out there yeah, to yeah, chef? Yeah, So I said, said this to everyone and... Um, and so, yeah, like a year had gone by and then it was my 18th birthday was coming up and I was st- and at that point I was working in the Chester Grover at that point. Mm. And, um, and I, my dad said, what do you want for your 18th? And I said, just a, a massive backpack. And he said, what for? And I said, well, cause. Oh, you hadn't told him at this point that this not that I was going to go. No. And I said, yeah, a massive backpack. And he said, yeah, okay. And that's what I got. And I said, look, I'm just going to stick all my clothes in it and I'm going to go to Ibiza and. And all my friends knew that that was what I was going to do. And, um, and what was your uh, dad's reaction to that? Well, you know what? But, um, maybe we'll get onto this today or we won't have time. I don't know. But my mum and dad are fucking amazing people. They are, I wouldn't be, sounds such a cliche thing to say, but it's so true for me. I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for them because despite me being a little shit in school and despite me washing pots instead of going to uni and despite me fucking off to Ibiza to do what they knew I was doing. Yeah. They supported me and all they ever said to me was fucking good for you. And when I told them I was going to Ibiza, they said, fucking good for you. Fuck, go for it. Go wow. for it. And they dropped me off at the airport. Um, I mean, they were slightly worried because I didn't have anywhere to stay and I didn't have a return ticket and I didn't really have any money. Um, but support I was, if nonetheless. Support from them in love. Yeah. Um, and that's fucking all you need. And, um, and I can only imagine the type of people, some people that I talk to who don't have their parents' honestly, love, you know? Honestly, without it, I don't know how anyone, and I don't know how anyone achieves because when somebody tells you that you can do something, you can believe that you can. Yeah. And if you don't get told that, it, how the fuck are you meant to think that you can do it yourself? And let's face it, you know, life's hard enough. Yeah, it is. So I, um, yeah, so, I, so we're on the plane. So we're on. So I've got on the plane, and you know what? One of probably one of the most special moments of my life, and I can remember the track that was on in my earphones going there. Um, and uh, yeah, one of the most special moments of my life because I felt it's what I felt like. Um, I just felt really fucking proud of myself, and um, I got to Ibiza, and it, I, the, the cheapest flight I could get got me there at about three in the morning. So I slept in the airport until. Um, until it was light and I went to a pub that I knew an English pub and I said you know can I can I leave my bag here and they said there isn't really anywhere you can put it but you can leave it under the pool table and we'll try and keep an eye on it and um that's try and keep an eye already (laughs) already I've got heart palpitations going yeah um and um yeah and I went to this place Cafe Mambo and I said to them look I explained what the situation was I'd love to work here and they said um they said you know, come back tomorrow, come and meet the head chef. And, and this went on for about two weeks. I ended up, um, the pub let me stay there for about four nights. And, um, because I hadn't found any accommodation and I hadn't, I hadn't, didn't have a job and I kept going back every day and I went back for two weeks. And and I remember meeting the head chef as well. He had, uh, he had like a power tool in his hand and, um, (laughs) he had no, no joke. He had a pair of chef's whites tied around his head. (laughs) Um, Because, he had this amazing long hair and out of season in Ibiza. They, they worked so hard for about six or seven months. And then, 
um, out of season, you know, a chef will turn into a carpenter and a, a manager of a bar will turn into a plumber and they all wow. have secondary jobs. Yeah. And so they all do up their places with all these, you know, sort of secondary skills that they had. And he, yeah, he was, he was doing up Cafe Mamba, the chef was. And I remember meeting him and it was crazy. And, um, he said, you need to come back. And for two weeks, I went back every morning. And, um, and then finally, two weeks, I met the manager and they offered me the job. And they said that, you know, we're offering you the job of sous chef, which I didn't really, I definitely wasn't ready for that. And plus, it didn't really mean anything because it was Cafe Mambo and we were just serving pastas and things. Right. But I remember phoning everyone at home and sort of texting people and telling people, uh, you know, listen, I, I've got the job in Cafe Mambo that I told you all I was going to get and I'm staying out here. And I stayed out there for three years. And, um, yeah, three years. Mm. Well, you stay at Cafe Mamba for three years. Uh, so, yeah, Cafe Mamba for three years, yeah. Um, and I, it was the time of my fucking life. If I, if I, look, this is, I'm going to sound like some sort of uh, really sort of um, skanky person here, but this is a good explanation for sort of how, the, how uh, crazy the whole experience was. And, I, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't say this knowing that some of the people that I work with are going to listen to it, but... You know, this is part of my life and I don't do it anymore. But the, the first evening that we opened Mambo, so I'd been also, when I was, in, when I, as soon as I was employed, I was also helping with making the mosaics for the front and doing all, all those uh, manual labour jobs before the restaurant opened. So you were starting to have a secondary job exactly, as well, yeah. Exactly. And on the opening night, um, the head chef who had the uh, chef's trousers wrapped around his head when I first met him, <laughs> the opening night, we'd been working so hard for the couple of days before preparing all the, the canopies and stuff like that. And we were, you know, heads down working away. And he's, I remember him saying to me, uh, Gary, and I, I turned around and he's a crazy guy. And he said, do you like, uh, you like a line of Charlie? And this is in the kitchen. And, um, and, uh, and I did. And, and, um, and the, my three years in Ibiza, although after the sort of the first uh, year there, um, I calmed down so much. And because although I was, enjoying myself so much partying. I, I, I've also never worked as hard as I did in Cafe Mamba because it was seven days a week. Right. Uh, no nights off, no mornings off. <clears throat> seven days, you're in every day, and then we'd go out at night after and then come back to work in the morning. But I was, I was 18, 19, so I was able to do it. But that really, that sort of, that first night and how that happened for me was, that was how Ibiza was for me for three years. And, um, and it was really funny because I did all that and... Um, but I was still so fucking ambitious at the same time in my head. I, I, was, I was writing things down about what I wanted my first restaurant to be when I was in Ibiza. Oh, right. So it, yeah. the, oh, it, was, it really dropped oh my, now. Yeah, you were was, really on a mission yeah, for I was this. On, yeah, I was on a mission for right. it. And, um, although I was, I was partying, I was still cooking in Ibiza and I was still passionate. And what I didn't even realise that I was, I was so passionate and ambitious about cooking in Ibiza, but I didn't realise that there was something to be uh, passionate about that was even better when I got back. And, um, and I got back from Ibiza after three years and I was only sort of 21. And, um, and it was really funny because all the people that I'd left the area to go to Ibiza with and all the, any people my age or the majority of people were still doing all the partying, were still doing all, all the drugs and living that sort of lifestyle of living for the weekends. I got back from Ibiza and I pretty much never really did anything like that again. Um, wow, so you really got it out of your oh, system amazing. over and, that yeah. three years. Yeah, it was amazing. I came back and... There seems to... What I'm hearing is like a real clear focus... Definitely. ...that happened over there was, that three years. There was. There was. And I got back and I realised that, you know, everything from smoking a joint to having a line of coke, everything, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And not because I... 
not, not because I resented it. I don't resent people that do it now. I'm not one of these people that, you, you know, I don't look, I would never look down on anyone that does anything like that. And I, you know, I, I love people that go and enjoy themselves, but I don't want anything to do with it. And, um, and I just, yeah, my, my goal when I got back was, I just want to, I just want to be the best that I can be as a cook. And that was when I started in, uh, uh, applying for jobs back down south again. So in, in, I was basically just applying for Michelin star restaurants down south. And that's, and that took me to, and that's where I went. To learn, to yeah. learn more. To learn more, yeah. So where work. did you first start? Uh, so the first, the first, well, the first Michelin star place was a place called Chapter One in Kent in Locksbottom. Um, th- that in itself was, <laughs> was a massive, massive, massive learning curve for me. Um, in what sense? I was out of my depth. I was really out of my depth. Um, I was doing very, very well, but I was out of my depth. Um, I was... Did you know that at the time? Yeah, God, yeah, fucking hell. I knew it so much. Um, but I was so... I, I compensated, and I've always done this, in, particularly in those types of kitchens, is uh, the, I would make sure that I was the first person to get in and I'm the last person to leave. So I, I was getting there. Um, it was an 8 o'clock start time, so I would get there at 7. But then the head chef, an incredible chef, Andrew McLeish, he would also get there at 7 as well, which is incredible for a head chef to be. He didn't need to, but he would get there at that time as well. And then I started coming in before seven, so I would be get there at quarter to seven. And I used to be there waiting for him when he got in, and he'd get pissed off about it. So he ended up giving me a set of keys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was genuinely fucked off that I was waiting for him. Was it really it pissed him off, yeah, because, it, you know, it's the morning, and you don't see it as somebody, like, trying their heart out. It's fucking annoying, you know. Mm. He's just, he's turning up to do his monstrously high-pressure job of running what was at the time one of the busiest Michelin-style restaurants in, in the country. It was, you know, we were doing 180 for lunch, which for a Michelin-style restaurant at that time was Jesus. huge. And, um, he, yeah, he, he'd be, he, he just gave me the keys. So, what, what, sorry, Gary, what year are you talking here? Uh, fucking hell. I'm, I'm not very good with dates. Probably 2002. Right, okay. Yeah, 2001, 2002. Right. And, um, yeah, I, um, I would get in earlier than everyone and I would leave later than everyone. And I, and that was my way of compensating for not being as good as everyone. Like the day wasn't already long enough as well. I mean, my God, the books that I've read about, you know, whatever level, you know, a chef's day and night. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And we were doing, so it was five days a week. And I know lots of stories of chefs particularly in the Marco days and particularly at places like Harvey's, it was six days a week. Mm. Um, they just had Sunday off and they were getting in at seven and they were finishing at past midnight. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Uh, this was five days a week. But then what I started doing was saying to the, to the chefs in there, I said, look, I want to learn, I want to learn pastry. I want to learn the desserts as well. And they said, well, you, you need to do the other sections first. And I said, well, what if I come in on my days off? And they said, well, <laughs> you know. Fucking hell, yeah. you're a glutton for punishment here, aren't you? Yeah, well, I, you know, God. yeah, but it was probably the wrong thing to do. And that's, but that's what I did. So I started coming in on, so I'd be working these silly hours for five days a week. And then on one of the days off, I would, uh, I would come in and I would work pastry to try, try and learn pastry and desserts. And I think what it was, I was just, I was so keen to try and learn everything. And it was almost like I was impatient to get to where I wanted to get. So I was trying to cram everything in, but... It ended up, it didn't end up being good for me. And I, um, the the girl that I was seeing at the time, we were have, not having a great time as well. And that job was just too much for me. And actually at the end of that job, I was, I was, a, I was quite a broken person and I wasn't sure about, 
you know, where I was going and cooking and even whether I wanted to do it because I found it so difficult and um, it was so, it was just all consuming. And so I wasn't sure what to do. And then a chef that I used to work with called John Molnar, an amazing person and an amazing sort of inspiration on me as well, called me up when he knew that I'd finished. And he said, listen, I, I know how you're feeling. He said, come up to, uh, come up to Nottingham and uh, I've got this little hotel, middle of nowhere, come and be the sous chef there and just chill out, get to love cooking again, chill out and let's just, we won't make any plans, you just come and enjoy cooking again. And that's what I did and, and he was right and I enjoyed cooking again. So I did that and then um, once I was feeling comfortable again, I applied for a restaurant called Shea Brews, which was an, another at the time... In uh, London. Yeah, yeah, London, yeah. I've so, eaten there. Oh, such yeah. a cool place. In there a few years ago, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. such a cool place. Uh, at the time, it was so, it still is now, super sort of celebrated place. Um, and um, They haven't got 180 covers. They are <laughs> fucking busy, though. Oh, no, Jesus, but like, yeah. It's yeah. quite it's select, smaller, small, yeah. and yeah. they get things just right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. They, um, but that was the first kitchen where I worked in where it was a Michelin star, but it was a... To say that it was a... You know, Christ, it's not a hippie place. Not everybody was going around like hugging each other and loving each other, but it felt different. It felt, it felt to me like, it felt like you could cook there. And yeah, we were all in the shit and it was fucking hard, but there was, uh, there was a life to be had there as well with the people. There was, there was, there was, there was people enjoying cooking as well as cooking hard. We were fucking in the shit there. I mean, we were working those hours as well, but. It just felt happier. I, um, I was going to say, if the love goes <clears throat> like it did for you, yeah, how can you cook? Because if the love goes for anything, yeah, you can't put any sort of passion or yourself into something. You can't. Can you? you can't. And you'll you'll hear this a lot with chefs, especially uh, back then and before my time as well. That you worked in lots of kitchens where the guys were against each other and they'd stitch each other up on purpose. So they'd, they'd turn ovens up in their own kitchens to other chefs. And there was, there was none of that at Shea Bruce. Um, so it felt a bit more united as a team. Yeah. But I applied there and said, look, I'm sort of, uh, I'm in between jobs. Um, and I just, uh, been, uh, accepted as a sous chef in another place. And I said, look, I've got two weeks off work. Would you let me come down and just work for two weeks for free and just, see what you're up to and they said yeah of course and and um and is I that went, a thing is that a done thing it's a thing but it's not so much anymore but it still gets done and in the restaurant world it's called a stage right. so where you just yeah you go to a restaurant it's not it's not paid and you just you it's almost like the way that i see it is it's a fantastic way of doing a trial because you're not under any pressure no one's judging you because as far as they're concerned you're not really looking for a job you're just there for a little bit of experience so like a bit of an unpaid apprenticeship yeah, kind of. Depends, I guess depending on how long it is, because a lot of stages can be just a day. Right. Um, I did a couple of weeks there, but you can have stages that I know. I know. I knew a guy that actually was at Shea Bruce that did a stage for a year, so he did unpaid for a year. Wow. Um, so he he uh, yeah he had family that were able to support him while he did that, but it was a he was doing it in a three Michelin star restaurant. So like you say, the word apprenticeship. I guess that's only what that was. 50 years ago. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I did a couple of weeks there and I just said, I remember saying to Matt at the end of it, the head chef, I said, Matt, I have fucking loved it here. And he was kind of like, okay, yeah. And I was expecting him to <laughs> offer me a job and he didn't. And <laughs> i just done two weeks for free as well. But he is an amazing guy and they were just, um, but he was like, yeah, okay. And so I sort of waited for him and he didn't say it. So I said to him, Matt, would you, 
would you take me on? Would you, you know, if I was to change my plans and move down here and live near Shea Bruce, would you take me on? And he said, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, and, uh, and he did. And, I and he did? Down. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I was there Thank for... Thank God a... you asked him. <laughs> he wasn't forthcoming, was he? At all. No, they definitely weren't going to offer me a job, that's for sure. But um, I, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of the best things I ever did. And I was there for a few years and... Um, and it taught me more than anywhere that I've ever worked how to cook, but not just how to cook, how to be a chef and how to, God, this sounds weird, but how to think, how to think about, how to think about what you do. So, um, it, I hate saying this cause I'm, I'm not one of these sort of, uh, cheesy sort of philosophical, like wanker types with food, but he really did, uh, help me to understand like like philosophies behind like like really like like why we're doing what we're doing uh the reasons behind it it's not just about standing there and cooking there's fucking so much more to it and making me completely understand the guest experience um and how what i do and how what the team does in the kitchen affects everything about the guest's experience. Um, and that was such a huge insight to me because um, I'd never been taught that before and it sounds like I should have known that, but I didn't. And, um, and until he showed me that and everyone in Shea Bruce installed that into me, that set me up as a chef. That, that just totally, that, that just changed me as a, as a person and as a cook. I was passionate anyway, but I was leaving Shea Bruce. I was, I was, I was, passionate but i was knowledgeable i was i was i was so involved in cooking when i left and and open obviously open yeah. to learning oh yeah definitely and so we spoke about angela hartner before be, being one of my bosses i um i was ready to leave shay bruce and i was looking at, at the, by that point a couple of years in shay bruce and i was fucking ready to take over the world like <laughs> you know i was thinking you know maybe i could go to paris maybe i'd go to new york and i applied for the Spotted Pig, I think it is in New York. It was a Michelin star pub in New York. I've been there as well. I used to live in New York for about six months. How was it? Really good. It's really nice. I mean, it's simple. It's it's good pub quality. It's quality fair. You know, it's what what you want. If you want pub food, that's cracking. Yeah. Well, yeah. I um I I I applied and I got the job and um and I was Was sorry. Was this straight after Shea Bruce? Well, I was still at Shea Bruce, but I'd been there for a few years and um. I wanted the next step. And Matt, the head chef, had left at that point while I was there. A new head chef, James Lawrence, had started. And I'd said to James, look, James, I've done a few years here. I really feel like it, um, I'm ready to move. I wasn't, I wasn't giving my notice. I was just saying, I'm ready for the next thing. What do yeah. you think? If, he, if they'd have said to me, look, you should definitely stay here, then I'd have stayed. But they said, no, you're right. You should move. And that's what all good bosses do, in my opinion. So he said to me, he said, look, it's great that you're looking at New York and stuff. And he said, but my friend Angela Hartner is opening this new little boutique hotel in Camden called the York and Albany. She's opened it with Gordon and um, she's got some great ideas. And he he said, from what I know about you and from what I know about you as a chef and you've liked pubs in the past and I just think this would be so suited for you. Just please go and meet her. And I said, oh, chef, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if that's the right... I don't think... I'm not sure that's the right move. And he said, Gary, look, please, she's an amazing person. Just go and meet her. And I went to meet her and he was right. She's fucking amazing. And um, she said, look, I want you to join us. And she said, but I want you to come in as sous chef. And I said, oh, chef, I'm, I'm not ready for that. And she said, you fucking are. And I said, chef, I just... I would love to join you and I'm really pleased that you would like me to join, but... 
I just wouldn't be comfortable joining as sous chef. And she said, oh, fucking hell, whatever, okay. And she, um, <laughs> so she, uh, so I started at the York and Albany and I must have been about three weeks into them being open there. And, um, so and what was your position there, if you weren't so? Well, I started a chef to party, which is a really common position in kitchens. It's like, it's a chef that can uh, pretty much run any section. Right. Or should, should be able to. It's changed a lot uh, recently. <laughs> I bet you've seen it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and within a week, they just said to me, you're not a fucking CDP, you're a sous chef, you're, you're a sous chef. So it, it just happened. I just ended up being the sous chef. So I was the junior sous and then... Did, that give, of, did that give you the confidence that you needed? Because you went in when you're talking to Angela going, oh, no, no, no I'm not ready. I'm not ready, but she believed in you from then. She did, yeah, she did. Um, she did. I think anybody that would speak to somebody that had done a few years in Shea Bruce and done all the sections, including pastry, was was going to be pretty competent. Yeah. So she was sort of uh, looking at that, and then I'm and obviously James that had spoken to her. I'm guessing that James was pretty complimentary about me. Um, so yeah, she'd already believed in it. But the thing was, despite you know me saying that I'm not a competent person. And when you ask me what I'm like in the kitchen, possibly I'm a little bit different. Um, after doing that sort of time, a stint at Shea Bruce, when I got to work with Angela, I did feel quite, I did actually feel quite strong in the kitchen. So it wasn't actually a surprise to me either that after, you know, a week or so, it was agreed, look, you're not a CDP, you're a sous chef. Yeah. Um, was yeah. there ever a point where, because you it's quite clear from what, where we are now in the timeline, you're learning everything on the job. Yeah. You're not going to college and, and no. looking at knife skills and things no. like that. You're learning on the job. Yes, that's right. I think, um, the, that is, there's, that was Shea Bruce. That was right. Shea Bruce more than anything. So by the time I got to Angela, I'd, I, t I still had so much more to learn, but by the time I got to Angela and because they wanted me to be senior and not, not do a section, but just oversee the kitchen and run the pass, um, there was not really, it wasn't really about learning for me so much when I was with Angela. It was about, uh, it was about running a kitchen for her um, in, the, in her absence, in the head chef's absence. Um, so yeah, a lot had changed by the time that I got to her. How was it adapting the different styles of the kitchen from somewhere like Shea Bruce to the York and Albany? Because I've got a feeling that every environment runs in, in, in a very different way. Surprisingly similar, actually. Really? Yeah, surprisingly similar. So the the kitchens are basic places. The hierarchy is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, the Yeah, you know what? Very, very similar. So um, that wasn't too much of a transition. The transition was being... Uh, I hate the word, but being the boss, I guess. So when the head chef wasn't there, I was running the kitchen. Yeah. So that was the main that was the main difference for me. But the actual kitchen itself, very similar. Because just jumping back to the end of the three years in Ibiza, and you've got all this passion and energy, and you, you said it yourself. You know, you're planning on your first restaurant. At least you didn't just jump into that straight away. Because I was. Some people say to me. And they go, oh, Craig, oh, you're an actor, that must be very hard, very hard. And I immediately go, well, I'll tell you what would be harder in this sort of creative environment, what we're talking about now, is running my own restaurant because you just hear about it. I mean, a few months, they're up, maybe they'll get a bad review, they're gone. Or they just... <clears throat> there was an amazing um, Japanese restaurant in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten his fucking name. It's just closed, yeah. Just closing yeah. end of October. Yeah. 
and I, I went in on the last week, couldn't get a table. Yeah. And then I was asking around, don't know why it's closed, and I think it won an award. It did, yeah. This... It's chippy now. It's a fish and chip shop. The fuck? I mean... Yeah. Yeah, they do, so, they come and go, yeah. The, the difference in the north and south, though, is fucking huge. It's, it's, it's the polar opposite. Tell me about it. So, I... Um, that was like I went, tell me about it. No, like I knew. I didn't mean it like that. I meant, I meant no, seriously, no, tell, me, tell me about the differences. <laughs> your experience of running restaurants in London. Yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, tell me about it, Gary. I mean, oh, don't get me started with Clapham. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, really different, um, which is, I mean, what you said is really true about a review can really make or break a restaurant, and definitely 20 years ago in London, it definitely could have done. I, you know, to a certain extent, I'm sure it probably could now as well, but... Um, up here, it's not 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 so much the case. So if you've got a bad national up here, it can be amazing for you, like it has been for us. Um, but it can also, I think, it can get lost a little bit. Uh, the scene in London is so competitive, and it's so uh, there's just so much of it. There's so many restaurants in London. There's it, so many opening it, every day. Does it move much faster down south than it would up north? Or is oh, that not the case? I don't want to sound like I don't want it to sound like a derogatory answer to the north because. Uh, Obviously, the north is where I, is for me. Oh, every, same, yeah, oh, north. I am, yeah, I am the north guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the north. Yeah, me too. I, but um, yes, it's faster paced in London, and definitely in the sense of opening and closing, uh, they really do. There was an old, you know, there was an old thing about restaurants, um, which was uh, if you've made it past year one. You'll, you will probably survive as a restaurant. Um, but now that statistic is, is now, if, you, if you've made it past three years, you'll survive. Fuck. But in London, I still think it's the case of... of uh, it's, it's different up here. You're, you're much more likely to close in London than you are up here, I think. Is that why your six restaurants are in, in the north? Oh, definitely. I, um, I, so, uh, okay, so if we go back to Angela. Yeah. When I handed my notice in with Angela... Sorry, how long were you at York and Albany for? A couple of years as well. Right. So I... Um, Is that I, quite standard for people to stay for a couple of years um, and then move? Or it, it depends where it is. It depends on the restaurants. I mean, if it depends on the person. Yeah, of course. Um, a, year, a year is uh, considered what you have to do, really. Uh, oh, God, that's old-fashioned as well. Um, in... Back in the day with cooking, if you didn't do a year, most chefs wouldn't give you a, res- a reference when you left. Right. Um, so it was kind of an unwritten rule in the restaurant world that you you had to do a year. So it was, yeah, back then it was pretty much a year of standard. It's not that anymore, but it pretty much was then. Were you learning as, did you learn as much with Angela at York and Albany as you did at Chez Bruce, because you're constantly sort of learning. I know yeah. you, you honed a lot of stuff at Chez Bruce. I learned were... different things. I learned different things. Um, I learned different things about man management. Um, and, yeah, I... But I didn't learn enough about what I wanted to learn. And what I wanted to learn was about running a business. And um, and I had, at that time, uh, Jamie Oliver had just opened his first couple of places with the Jamie's Italian brand. So he, mm. I think he just opened Oxford and Canary Wharf. And I was super interested in what he was doing. And I'd heard about his, uh, what were his plan to open this group of restaurants and sell this group of restaurants quite openly, 
you know, saying that that was his plan. And I just thought that was, I really loved that. I really loved this sort of ambition. And, um, and so I went to eat at the one in Canary Wharf and, uh, and I thought it was fucking amazing. And right. um, this, is, we, this is when he first opened. And, um, Bearing in mind you've just been working with somebody who knows more about oh, Italian food than you can shake a stick at. I know, I know. And the great oh, Italian oh, food. Well, wait until I told her that I, I was looking at going to work for him. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> she, oh, she loves it. She does, she loves him. But, and she loves everything about him. But for... for, for in the style of cooking that she is involved in and for the, her style of restaurants and for what I was doing for her, mm. it was an odd decision. But so I went to this restaurant of his in Canary Wharf, had a, had a, I was so impressed with the simplicity, with the ingredients, the produce. I thought it was great. And, um, so I went back again. It wasn't very good. I went back again and I probably ate there five or six times. And, um, same one, Canary same, Wharf. Same one. Yeah. Canary, Canary, yeah. They, I think they only had a couple at that point. Yeah. And um, so I, I, um, I, I said to Angela, I said, Chef, can I, can I have a word about just my future and stuff like that? And um, she said, yeah, of course. And we went into the office and I said to her, look, Chef, because I, I, I told her when I started that I would really like to open my own place before it even started. And she thought that was great as well. And I said to her, um, I said, Chef, I'm, I'm looking at leaving. And she was like, oh, right, okay, where, what are you thinking of doing? And... I said, um, <laughs> I, I tried to sort of like <laughs> soften the blow by explaining why before I said where. Yeah. So I sort of said, look, chef, I, what I want to learn is um, I want to learn really a lot about GPs. I want to learn about money. I want to learn about profits. I want to learn about business behind the scenes, behind the food. And she, and she said, well, okay, what are you thinking? I said, well, I'm really interested in this new concept Jamie Oliver's doing with Jamie's Italian. And she went, right. And I said, so, you know, I, I've, 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 made a few calls and seeing what they've got going. And she wasn't, she would never be insulting to him. She wouldn't, but she was pretty fucking shocked. And she was like, you know, what the fuck, basically. Yeah, but also you did explain your reasons about what yeah. you wanted to learn yeah. and grow with. And it yeah. wasn't about, it wasn't about the food. It was behind yeah. the scenes. It was about the yeah. business. It was about profits. It was about money. Yeah. Well, she said to me, she said, I will, I will teach you all of that. And I said, Chef, I, I know you would, I know you would, Chef, but I know how busy you are. And she said, No, I will fucking teach you all of it. And um, but I just, she, she honestly, I can't, I can't big her up enough. She's fucking amazing. Yeah, but she's I amazing. knew, I knew she didn't, she wouldn't have time to do that. And so, um, so I, so I worked my notice, and on my, uh, on the week before I left, she just turned up at work, and um, Colin, the head chef, was on the pass. And she turned up at work and um, she walked in and she said to Colin, she said, Colin, I'm taking Gary out for lunch. And chef Colin said, yes, chef. You know, because we, 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 one of the best things about the, the hierarchy in, in restaurants and particularly in the old fashioned restaurants is the level of respect. I don't like the, uh, the bullying side that happens and that didn't happen in hers anyway, but I, I don't like that, but I do like the level of respect and that, that just, it's, it's such a great thing to be involved in. And he said, well, what, it's the, brilliant. The way I always think about it is, well, there has to be a leader. There has to be somebody yeah. steering the ship. Yeah, yeah. It seems just, natural, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I buzz off that level of respect. And I was, I, was, I was always like that. I'd have, if Angela had have said, if Angela had have walked into the restaurant when I was working there and she said, she'd have walked in and said, go and clean my car, I'd have gone and cleaned her car. Um, because I, I love working like that. I yeah. love, I love um, knowing that 
my boss can rely on me for anything. Yeah. I buzz off that. And I, and so, yeah, she walked in. Chef, Colin, I'm taking Gary out for lunch. Colin, yes, chef. So, and I was on the pass as well. So it's quite a big deal. <laughs> quite a big deal. Um, so we went to um, uh, a brand new restaurant called Polpo. And, um, and brand new at the time. Brand new at the time, yeah. yeah. Fucking, I was blown away by the place. It's great. Yeah. And we went for lunch there. Get and, some octopus, um, Gary. You, yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> it's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and um, she said over lunch she just she was very complimentary about the how how about working for her and I had worked as hard as I possibly could for her and um, you know even down I remember you know down to uh, when she said to me look Gary you've got to take some of your holidays and I remember saying oh, chef I don't need any I'm okay thanks you know I just wanted to be and this isn't I I do I know the difference between a an arse slicker and a job's worth than somebody who just wants to be the best that they can for someone and yeah. that's all I wanted to be and I knew that I'd worked hard and I knew that she respected that and she said to me over lunch she said look she said I'm not sure that what you're doing is the right decision and in hindsight she was fucking right but um said I'm not sure that what you're doing is the right decision she said and I just want to tell you that if you stay in London she said I will back you she said I will if you want your own place we can do it together and I'll back you to have your own place wow yeah so well she's really uh, putting it on the line there, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, she is. And um, and I that's I felt so proud of myself that somebody that I respected so much thought enough of me to offer that. Yeah. Um, so my opportunities in London were, were pretty huge. So when you asked me um, about, you know, how have they ended up in the north and in the south, my... It wasn't that I didn't have opportunity to do it in the South because I did. And actually, I feel like I was doing quite well in London. It was more to do with the fact that um, I felt confident in the kitchen working for somebody, but I didn't feel confident enough by to do it by myself. Because um, you didn't for, have that other knowledge yet, did you? No, I didn't. And I just, I just, I don't know. I just wasn't confident enough in my ability to to have my own restaurant like like that in somewhere like London anyway. And she said, um, and she left the offer open and and I thought the best thing that I can do is go to Jamie Oliver, try and learn all these things that I want to learn, which I didn't. And um, and uh, and it was disastrous and I hated it and I uh, fucking resent everything about it. But, um, <laughs> we can delve into this if can. you want. <laughs> yeah, we can and I'm happy to. Um, and... Um, and I just carried on thinking the whole time that actually what would be better would be if I opened somewhere in the north that, that where if things did go wrong and I was completely shit and the restaurant was completely shit, no one would really notice. It would just open and close and no one would give a fuck. So that's how we ended up in the north. Let's go back to the disastrous Jamie yeah. Oliver experience. Fucking hell. So... Because oh, we know, hell. we've already heard, right, your intentions to go there were very clear of what you wanted to learn, yeah. right? Yeah. I wanted to learn. I was well aware that I, so I, I applied for, I wanted to, well, I didn't apply for it because it wasn't available, but I, I wanted to get on the ops team because that was the best way that I felt that I could learn about it. So I wanted to try and work with the exec chef Yeah, because I knew how rapid their expansion plans were and that they wouldn't be able to do it with two. They'd need like 15 on their ops team. I applied for that and they said, well, you'd need to be a head chef first. And I said, okay, can I, can I be a head chef? And they said, there isn't anything head chef at the minute. Obviously, you're completely um, qualified for it, but there isn't anything. We're about to open Cambridge. We've got a head chef uh, 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 called Lorenzo, l l l the biggest cunt that I've ever met in 
cooking or in any workplace ever. Why? I'll explain. Okay. And um, we've got a head chef, but we need a sous chef. And I said, um, okay, cool, I'll take it. And they said, but you'll still need to be a head chef. And I said, okay, great, whatever. I'll, I'll come in a suit. And they said, we're going to open, we're going to open in Manchester and that one is available for head chef. So open a suit in Cambridge, go to Manchester as head, then you can come on the ops team. I said, okay. So I went to the Cambridge one and I remember all the training and the training was a couple of weeks and it was quite intense training. And they bought uh, Gennaro Cantaldo, which is, he's an Italian guy that Jamie's got lots of connections with because Jamie worked for him, you know, 25 years ago or yeah. something. He is super involved in Jamie's Italian, or he was, it's all closed now. Yeah. But he is super involved in it. And uh, so he would come in all these training sessions at the start and he'd sort of rev people up and bring massive vibe to the place because he's quite eccentric. Um, he's a big personality. He's he? a huge personality, yeah. He's a fucking dick as well. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, look, that's my opinion. I don't give a fuck because he's a fucking dick. He's a fucking rude. He's a fucking... I, I've got... I'm, I, look, I'm sorry, I've got so much resentment for that place because of the way that I was treated. I think let's get it yeah. all out in the open, yeah. Gary. This is the place for yeah. it, man. Yeah, so he, I, um, I, went, I remember these training weeks and I remember being introduced by people and... Uh, like the health and safety meetings and stuff like that where all the chefs were at and I remember being introduced and you had to introduce yourself and who you are and where you'd come from and I remember it coming to me and I remember the EHO uh, guy saying fucking hell everyone are you ready for this drum roll for for Gary and um and uh I was I was known as being uh somebody with with a huge amount of experience for 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 a job at that sort of level yeah it's i said i don't want to sound big-headed that's not what i mean but in from what i'd been doing before uh it was almost quite a strange choice well i kind of wanted to say before but i yeah. didn't want it to come across as sort of kiss arsey in any way when they said oh yeah you completely qualified for the head chef position i was thinking Overqualified, really? Because you've gone, you go from yeah. what Shay Bruce, and you go and work with Angela, and then what you're going to be? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I um, so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so it was, it was, um, yeah, and it and it, and it kind of was that. And I didn't. It wasn't as if I was going to sit in those meetings and sort of say, "Well, guys, I don't give a fuck about the food anyway. I'm only here. I'm only here to learn about the numbers." So yeah. I, I was there as the sous chef, so I was there to cook and. Um, and I remember being introduced really so uh, so nicely and uh, everybody was so complimentary about it. And then when it actually came to the cooking, the bullying that I saw in uh, Jamie's Italian, you know, I'd been working in some pretty serious restaurants before and I'd been working under, you know, under pressure in Michelin-style places that were, you know, fucking intense environments. And, um, and yet the bullying in Jamie's was more than I'd ever seen. And... Um, you know, people were being physically punched and, uh, and it was disgusting. And this guy, Lorenzo, that was their chef, a disgusting fucking guy. Uh, he was, uh, yeah, he was bullying people. And there was, uh, one lad called Isaac, who was a young chef there. And yeah, I would watch him punch this guy and I'd, and I'd intervene and sort of say, fuck, you know, but afterwards I'd intervene once he'd gone, once Lorenzo had gone and I'd sort of go over to Isaac and I'd say, fucking hell man, what the fuck's going on? He'd say, I don't fucking know. And I watched this and then Lorenzo started trying to do it to me uh, and I wasn't into it. <laughs> so I wasn't. You don't strike me as the yeah. person that would be getting so, pushed around. Yeah, no, so I wasn't into it. So, um, but he fucking tried. So he tried to make my life a nightmare in lots of other ways. Um, so he, he, would, he would belittle me when I was there and when I wasn't. 
but the funny thing is there was 50 of us in the kitchen so there was there was 35 chefs and 15 kitchen porters wow so it was a big team yeah so um but not one person you know would take any notice of what lorenzo would say about me because again it was a it was a new restaurant and i was working seven days a week and some nights i'd stay there all night uh, just to make sure that everything was getting done right and um i mean he obviously felt intimidated if I'm completely honest with you, and out without sounding arrogant, yeah, I think yeah. most of it. It's, was, it's, it's, look, yeah, anybody listening would have jumped in and said that anyway. I, you've come in; he knows where you've come; he knows yeah. where you've trained. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, but it doesn't it, explain why he was doing it to the junior chefs as well that didn't have any experience. So, so he was just a fucking bellend, fucking bully. That's He's what bully. bullies do, isn't it? He was a bully. He was a bad fucking bully, and um. There was, so we had to do a stock take at Jamie's Italian and all, you know, nearly all restaurants do a stock take. Uh, most of them will do monthly. Some, some will do quarterly, but Jamie's Italian was the only place I've ever worked where they do them weekly. So every Sunday night we do a full count of the kitchen. And, um, I'd done the count one night and I couldn't work it out and it had gone horrifically wrong. And I was sat in the restaurant and I fell asleep at one of the tables, uh, in the restaurant and Lorenzo came in the next morning. And, um, I don't know, I don't know why he, I don't know why he got so angry and I don't know why he, he, he lost it with me so much, but he was like rage in the eyes, red in the eyes type angry. He smashed, uh, one of the restaurant chairs to bits in front of me with anger, uh, slamming it down. I don't, I don't know why he was so angry, but he told me to fuck off. He told me to get out of the kitchen. He said, why the fuck are you here? Why have you been here all night? Um, bizarre. I, yeah, so weird. I don't get it. I don't get all I put into that restaurant was everything I had. I put a hundred. I put a hundred percent in, and it, yeah. all those fifty people that worked in that kitchen knew that. All the front of house knew that. I was dedicated. I was so dedicated. You know, I, the places I'd just come from, it was pretty obvious I was going to be dedicated. And uh, yeah, he just, he just, yeah, he really lost his. He just lost it. Uh, so I told him to go fuck himself. Um, and I, I walked out and it didn't escalate physically, uh, physically together. No, he smashed stuff up. That was his, uh, that was his, his way of being the hard man. Um, I just told him to go fuck himself and walked out. And, um, and I remember about, about two days later, one of the ops guys rang me and said, look, what's going on? We really want to fix this. And I said to him, I said, listen, I said, I don't really think there's much to be fixed. I said, I'm willing to be your head chef in Cambridge uh, if you if you decide that what he's doing isn't right. Um, and they said, oh, you'll know, well, you know, we'll look into it. And, all, and I explained about all the bullying that was going on, explained about everything. And Was nobody else complaining about him at this point? Um, was that quite difficult for somebody in a, a lesser position to complain about a head chef? Hugely difficult. Right. I'm hugely difficult and I don't know if anybody else did complain about him but I was pretty open about everyone that he was bullying and everything that he was doing and um, and th so uh, Gennaro called me uh, on my mobile um, a bit, about a day after and he started giving me this spiel about um, how everybody at Jamie's loves me and I'm part of the family and they don't want to lose me and I said Gennaro I, I've explained to your guys this guy, Lorenzo, is a fucking bully. He's a nasty person. He is physically punching the chefs. He's a nasty fucking person. Um, I don't understand why you're calling... What are you calling me for? Yeah. To go back. I'm asking you to sort out this situation. So 
they, they asked me to come back. I went in to speak to them and they offered to transfer me. And I said, fuck off. I said, you know what? Fuck off. I said, stick your fucking job. I said, I, not a fucking chance. I'm telling you about a bully, a fucking bully, a nasty piece of work that is, up, that is, that is upsetting people so much and you are offering to transfer me. It's fuck off. You're not solving a problem here. You're fucking moving hell. somebody who's talking about the truth. Fucking hell. But the yeah. problem is still there. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So I... I know this is ba- it's bad of me and I feel bad sometimes and I write stuff on social media about it sometimes and I guess I should and, and look, I'm, I'm a business owner now so maybe someone's going to write this kind of stuff about me in the future and, you know, I should worry about uh, how, uh, the things that I say but that was my experience of James Italian and I am very resentful to Jamie Oliver for it and I shouldn't be because, you know, he didn't see it but... I'll tell you this for sure, Craig. If that happened in my fucking restaurant, I would fucking know about it. Yeah, I bet you I would. I would fucking know about it. And also it. you'd do something about it. I would do something about it. We've sacked, we've sacked about 15 people in the last year because of things like that. Really? We do not fucking tolerate it's it. It's so funny. I can't imagine anybody even... Even presuming that they could get away with anything like that onto your watch. You know... It doesn't. Yeah, you don't I'll strike you me as somebody. That, you strike me as somebody that would set out the, the the rules and how you want to run your kitchen and your your front of house. Yeah, and there's no sort of. It's quite it's quite cut and dry. This this is how it is. You know, when there's a problem, go on. When we employ someone from a Michelin star restaurant, I, it's going to sound terrible, and but it's fucking true. When we employ a young person who's just keen and worked in a couple of pubs, they're always fucking lovely people. When we employ a chef that's got two or three years' experience in a Michelin-style restaurant, they're always the ones that we end up sacking. I I shouldn't say that, but it's fucking true. It's true. They're always the ones we sack because they have that mentality that's been fucking bred into them that they find so hard to change. One guy worked with us in Hispy, South Manchester in Kingsbury. And he came from that, he had those credentials. His CV was fucking amazing. And the dishes that he was putting up, I remember taking my mum and dad there for lunch. And um, I was so proud sitting there eating these dishes in Hispy that this chef was putting up. He'd only been there for about a month. And we'd already spoken to him probably twice in his first four weeks. And something else happened where he was being disgusting to the front, to the, to the front house, to the guys uh, uh, waiting on. Well, just being rude, being fucking rude, being derogatory, being uh, dismissing them as a lesser as a lesser person, mm. and w- one of them called me up, and I fucking drove over there. It was about half eleven at night, and I called this guy out of the kitchen. I said to him, "What the fuck are you doing?" And he said, "Oh, chef, I'm sorry. I don't feel like I've done anything wrong." And I said, "Well, you fucking have. You're speaking to people like shit." I said, "It doesn't happen here, mate." I said, "I, I, I don't get. I, we are not that type of place. The guys that are working in front of house." Why do you think that they are a lower position than you? They're, we're all... They're all one team. It's but a team. everybody's doing their it's own different team. jobs. It's, you know, I've said yeah. this to loads of people. It's, you know, it's like a film set. Yeah. You know, the gaffer does their job, the director does their yeah. job, props, art department, yeah. makeup, acting. Yeah. No one's... Everyone's on the same yeah. fucking level. Yeah. And, you know, the comparison is, um, if I'm on a set... And I can feel that it's not equal. 
Yeah. There's a, the balance is off. Yeah. So you must feel that it's exactly, exactly the, same. the same. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And the thing is, these people, they're so tunnel visioned, they're so narrow minded about their own ego that they don't realize by them speaking to the front of the house like shit, by them speaking to the other chefs around them like shit, that the chefs will end up cooking worse food, the front of house will end up being unhappy when they uh, are with the guests. And they are so fucking stupid to realise that actually they are making a worse experience for the guests. Yeah. And that is everything that we're doing. We want to be a happy team, of course, but if the guests aren't happy, we haven't even we haven't even got a fucking job to do. And also so, they're not gonna come back. Yeah. It's definitely. Like, if it comes definitely. from there, the product is going to yeah. be back because it bleeds out yeah. over to the front of house, over yeah. to that, and eventually, as you say, yeah. to the guests. Yeah, I've been in those situations. I've been yeah. in restaurants like that where yeah. I've gone. I can sense. Can a, I can sense a real air tell. of something's tell. not right here, or you hear something from an open kitchen that you really shouldn't be hearing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And that completely makes me tense. Definitely. I was. Um, it's. You know. It is. It is. It is changing. It is getting better. And certainly in a, in in our group, it's a hundred percent better. But there is still. Oh no! I was in a restaurant um, uh, only about a year ago, and it was a it was a top restaurant. It was a Michelin star restaurant, and the I was having a chat with the owner, and we were out in uh, in in the front of his restaurant, and he wanted to get some coffees, and we sat down and. Uh, so in that instance, in, if we were in one of our places, um, like yesterday, I was in Hispy and I was meeting my, my landlord and I spoke to Jane, the manager, and I said, and, and Jane asked me actually before anyway, if I'd like a coffee. And I said, well, when the landlord comes, it'd be great. Thank you. Um, but if it wasn't, I'd have said to Jane, oh, Jane, is there any chance we could have a couple of coffees if that's okay? Yeah. I was in this restaurant. This is, this is, this is you know, only within the last year, Michelin Star restaurant. And uh, the owner... We sat down and he went, do you want a coffee? And I said, oh, chef, I'd love a coffee. And he just turned, he t- he turned around. He looked at the two guys behind the bar and he went, service. And I just thought, oh, fucking hell, we're, we're fucking, surely that's not, I don't, I don't get that. I don't fucking get it. It's like the fucking dogs. It's just I not, it's not human get, at all, is it? Is it? Fuck, no. It's the, it's, 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 it's the equivalent of the It's the, the same of a click. It's the same, it's the same as a click. It's the same as a whistle. When we're in the kitchen oh, and we... Neither put, are acceptable, no, my God. Holy fuck. When we put the food on the pass, we do call service, but we say service, please. And it's just a call to, to alert, that's all. It's not, um, we're not <laughs> grabbing someone's attention to get us a coffee. It's just part of the job and it's how we call it out. And also, it's, it's part of the dialogue. I, yeah. The amount of times I hear service, yeah. please, it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's not, you don't mean yeah. it in a derogatory way at all. But if you, if, if one of the guys in one of our places calls out um, service and doesn't say service, please, then one of the guys will say to him, just let's stick a please on the end of it. Don't cost anything. No. <laughs> don't waste any more no. time, really, does no. it? That food ain't no. going to go cold. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. So we've stuck two fingers up to Jamie and we've walked out of there, we've left there. Yeah. Without a plan? Um, there was a plan bubbling in the background. Right. Yeah. Go on. So um, I had, so when I worked in the Chester Grosvenor, there was a, there was a chef called Nathan, uh, who's one of my best friends now. And he was a pastry chef in the Grosvenor and he stayed around that area. So when I moved down South, he stayed there the whole time. 
he'd called me up and he'd said, listen, I don't know if you remember, but there's a little bistro um, in outside Chester called the Village Bistro. I said, yeah, I think I do remember. And he said, well, look, it's like it's closed for half of the week. Um, it's for sale. It's so cheap. Um, and it's a bit fucked. It's all like, a, you know, you can see the equipment. It's all fucked. The furniture's all old and it needs it needs serious love. Um, but it's for sale. And I just think that um, you'd love it. And so I got the train up the next day um, and I had lunch there. And um, I sat in there and I sat in the window facing the kitchen, which was half open at the time. And on a, on a ledge, which was visible, was the back of a microwave. And then it had... Oh, don't start to <laughs> me about microwave ovens, Gary, please. <laughs> and then it had a load of old pans hanging from the ceiling. Um, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough. And um, I had, my soup was sour and, um, and my creme brulee was split. Oh. And... Uh, but I was just absolutely buzzing. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, oh God, I was fucking buzzing. I was sat there eating the sour soup with a big <laughs> smile on my face. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I was looking into the kitchen and yeah, and I could just, I could, honestly, I could see myself in there and I, I felt I can change this and I could, I could make this better. This could be me. I could yeah. do, I could definitely, I feel like I could do this. I could make this better. I was looking around and I was looking at the fireplace. I was looking at the stairs. I was looking at the bad curtains. I was looking at all the things that were wrong. And I felt I, I would do that. I would do this. I would do that. And a lot of it was quite simple. And I wasn't even thinking about the food. I was just thinking about all the things that I could do to make the place more welcoming. And, and I just felt so fucking good. I felt, I just felt like fucking hell, this is it. This is, I could do this. Um, and I did. And you did. And I did. Did. Um, so was that you? Were you and Nathan going into business together to change this? We were, we were. And then on the eleventh hour, um, uh, he pulled out. Um, no. Yeah, no, but not in a. Oh. I don't. I don't. I, look, we we are. I was. We are. Nathan is now the exec chef, exec pastry chef at Man City. Right. Um, in fact, we were there last week, and we're going to be doing a night at Man City. I don't. He 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 pulled out because he felt that it wasn't right for him. That's all. It wasn't him pulling out. Um, I didn't feel like it was a stitch up, and I didn't feel right. Okay, well, that's I just good. felt like okay, cool. It didn't make me think. Fuck, I'm not going to do it. Did that change anything for you financially? It yes. So um, at this point, my dad had just retired, and um, he but he was young, um, and um, he said that he wanted to carry on in business. And uh, I said to him, "How would you fancy doing it with me?" And uh, he doesn't know anything about restaurants, but um, there's a long story with my dad. And my dad was a baker, and my dad actually had three bakeries and my work ethic and everything I get in that sense is all from my dad. Yeah. And he said, yeah, he said he wanted to. So um, we we wrote a business plan together, one page, one A4 page. But it was funny because my dad had been writing business plans for a living with the company that he was in. So he, you know, he, we, we knew that it didn't need to be huge. We wrote a one page business plan. And in that business plan, <laughs> it said that I would like to open a little uh, bistro um, and with the vision of opening 10. 
And, um, and this think, was a, think big, Gary. That's what I say. Go <laughs> for it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. I didn't believe it, and I doubt my dad did either. But we wrote it. We wrote an open ten, and um, and so uh, so he had his uh, retirement money. The restaurant was sixty grand. Um, so he had his. So not a, you know as restaurants go, it's yeah. not a massive oh, yeah, it's, amount. It's, it's tiny. It? Yeah, it's tiny. It's absolutely tiny. Um, so it's tiny, but. Who the hell can get their hands on sixty grand? You know, I was in the, I was fucking exactly. lucky. Yeah, so privileged to be able to do that. It's all about timing, though, isn't it? It's, it's with so, with so it's many ti- things it's in life. Timing and it's fucking luck. And I've been, I've been lucky my whole life, and I was lucky. And um, and so my, so we did it, and um, and two weeks. Um, so we we put the offer in on this place and um, this place in Chester and. Um, and two weeks before, um, my dad went on a retirement holiday and um, we'd put an offer in, but it had fallen through. So, um, but I had actually moved back and rented a flat in Chester. Um, we put an offer in, it fell through. He went on his retirement holiday with my mum to Greece. And while they were in Greece on, the, um, on one evening, uh, he started to feel a bit strange. And... Um, uh, he started to uh, have uh, some problems talking. And my mum sort of said, what the fuck's the matter? And he said, I fucking don't know. I don't know what's fucking wrong. Um, and then um, I think he passed out. And then uh, and then obviously mum was concerned and he yeah. got up and, and my mum said, what the fuck's going on? And then his speech was even worse and he couldn't say anything. Yeah. And then um, they didn't know what to do. And my mum said to my dad, what what do you want to do? And he said, I want to go home. Um, so they slept that night and uh, and um, they got on the first plane home, um, back to the UK. But what had actually happened was my dad had had a stroke um, and uh, they should have gone to the hospital yeah. in Greece, but they both didn't want to. They just wanted to come home and try and be where they are familiar. Yeah. Um, but they shouldn't have done that. They should have gone to Greece. They should have stayed in Greece. So it starved my dad the oxygen in his brain that he needed to prevent the stroke from being worse. Um, so it's uh, so it ended up being a huge stroke. <clears throat> so it affected my, it's affected my dad for the rest of his life. Right. So um, he's lost uh, the use of uh, the left side of, of his body, <clears throat> and uh, and his uh, his speech is is got better. And um, but for the first. For the first six months, he couldn't really say anything, and then for the next few years, very difficult, broken sentences, and now he's getting better, but it will never be the same. Um, And so that was two weeks before the restaurant was to open. So um, well, it was a really difficult time, and I didn't know what to do. So what I said was to my mum, I said, "Listen, I said, look, you this retirement money." you two fucking need it now. Um, So I'm not opening a restaurant because I don't know whether the restaurant would work. So I'm going to go back to London. Um, And my mum pleaded with me not to do it um, for a few reasons, I think. I think one of the reasons was she wanted me to be close because they weren't having... Because it was so bad. Yeah. Uh, And and another reason, she wanted me to be close and... I genuinely think that she believed, I think that she believed that actually it would be 
a good thing. It would be a good, <laughs> she would hate me saying this word, but a good investment. Yeah, um, but even going back to when you left years ago for Ibiza, you know, you're, you've always, you were saying before, I was supportive yeah. with love your, your parents the, are, so... That's the first time my mum's ever asked me anything like that in my life. Wow. I didn't, and... Uh, so <laughs> it was... It was a fucking weird situation. Um, but at first I just couldn't do it. So I went back to London. So I had a flat in back in um, Streatham. And, um, but also emotionally, you wouldn't have been I, in the I best just, place to have, I just, to have started. A, I just what, fucking shut it out. What would have been a very stressful time I in just your fuck, life. I just fucking shut it out. I, just yeah. shut, it, I shut it out for a couple of years. Yeah. And um, I... Um, I so I went back to, I was living in Streatham and yeah. I phoned Shea Bruce up and I said, listen, restaurants fallen through, some stuff's happened up here, would you take me back on? Matt said, fucking right, we would, of course we would. He said, one condition. He said, you're on pastry. I said, yep, yeah, cool, whatever, wherever you want me. So I went back and then um, speaking to my mum, the restaurant was back, uh, things going well, speaking to my mum, and uh, she, I fucking, this is weird to say, but she pretty much, she, uh, she fucking wanted me back there. Um, so, uh, so I fucking did it. Um, but the one of the things that my dad was going to do was uh, he was going to come down because he was still a young guy. So he was going to be quite involved in the business. So he was going to come down every night and cash up. Yeah. Um, he was going to be very involved in all the finances, everything. He was going to help me with the GPs, everything. Um, and, uh, and that's never happened. So I ended up doing, uh, all of it. So, uh, <laughs> it was fucking difficult. It was really fucking difficult. Um, but when you asked me about pressure earlier, I was, I, because I hadn't, hadn't told you this, uh, part of that pressure was the fact that, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing with the restaurant anyway, but also having to do all the uh, paperwork side of things, I was um, the stress and the pressure of getting all that right, knowing that that was my dad's retirement money when he wasn't able to ever work again in his life. Yeah. So he wasn't able to drive again, work again, anything like that. So it, he couldn't even, he can't even do his uh, signature. So um, that was the added pressure. Um, but now it's really nice to be able to say that we've pretty much fucking smashed it. Okay. So... Um, they are, I feel really proud that um, their money uh, has gone back to them tenfold. So, yeah, of course. Yeah. Now we need to get onto this about the first... From there, yeah, we need to, that's what I'm talking about. I want to talk about the crowdfunding because what, and sorry for everybody listening, if you, is it still on all four, your documentary? Um, no, I don't think it is, no. come off now. I think so, yeah. Uh, you've missed it. Anyway, it's a very good documentary which me and Gary are going to talk about now. It's all about crowdfunding uh, his restaurants. Now, why can't you get the... Because obviously the success of the business is there and it's all going very well. So why can't you get the funds from banks now? Or is the crowdfunding something that is a tried and tested formula for you that you like to do? Such a big question with so many answers. Um, look, it's have a look, let's have a look. <laughs> it's, ten, it's ten to six at night, Gary. We've been talking for like an hour and 45 minutes. 
I don't have to do anything till half past seven. So if I'm, you're, I'm good. I, I'm just going to get another beer and yeah. then we'll just carry on. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. I mean, I know it's, I know yeah. it's a big question, but it's yeah. something that was preying on my mind yeah. because I remember there's a certain point in. Where are we? Forgive, sorry, forgive me. Geographically, where are we in that documentary? Where's that place? Prescott. Prescott. Yeah. Which is, and I'm not slamming Prescott in any way. Look, I'm from Blackpool. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine anybody trying to open um, a restaurant like you did in Blackpool because yeah. it would be very, very difficult, probably as difficult, if, yeah. if not more so. Um, and there's that afternoon when you go for the start the crowdfunding and it goes terribly well. It's incredible. <clears throat> it's incredible. I don't know how we've, um, it's fucking incredible. It's ridiculous. I can't even put it into words and I don't know how to, I don't know why it happens. Um, but we have, so Sticky Walnut was the first restaurant in 2011 and we've since opened five, five restaurants with crowdfunding. So we've got Sticky Walnut, we've got Hispy, yep. we've got Carla. Yep. Where else are we? So it was Sticky Walnut first, then yep. it was Burnt Truffle in Heswell, That's on the right. Wirral. Then it was Hispy yep. in Didsbury. Then it was Wreckfish in Liverpool. Mm. Then it was Pinion in Prescott. And Carla, the last one here, which, last one? which you've eaten in. Twice, I've eaten. Twice, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the crowdfunding aspect is, uh, is fucking incredible. It's an incredible thing to be a part of. And it's, um, it's an incredible part of the business. It's a massive part of the business. And I wouldn't change it. I couldn't change it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you ask about the banks and that type of thing, so... Let me let me tell you a little bit about Hispy for to use as an example. Yeah. So Hispy, um, the rent on Hispy is thirty six grand. Rates on top of that, a forty percent uh, wage percentage, and we take at Hispy between eighteen and on a fucking amazing week twenty two thousand pound a week, but the break even for Hispy is eighteen point nine grand. So, right. yeah, so most weeks at Hispy, we break even. I don't give a fuck. I couldn't care less. To me, that's amazing. If everybody can stay in their careers, if everybody's happy, if the guests are happy and the teams are happy, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I don't care. Okay, I'd love it if it made 40 grand, but it doesn't. It makes 18. And I, the only thing I care about is them making less than break even. So um, they're all very similar to that. And... Um, when it comes to banks and loaning money, it's been difficult over the years. The first money that I tried to loan was for an air conditioning unit in Sticky Walnut, the first restaurant in Chester. I asked for 10 grand after the first year. Um, and they said no. And I, I thought, fuck, why would you say no? Because when I, when I bought what was the Village Bistro, they were taking on a, on a, on a, on a bad week... £3,000, and their best ever week was five and a half grand, which they were very keen to tell me about. Um, um, and then Sticky Walnut, um, uh, now taking about £20,000 a week. Um, but then in the first year, um, it, had got, it had already gone up to £11,000 a week. Um, and I showed this to the bank, and I said, why the fuck wouldn't you lend me ten grand? Look what yeah, I've done we're, here. We're, it's quite clear it's yeah. going yeah. in an upwards trajectory. Yeah, I definitely. Mean. And a local bank that knew the local gossip as well. And the local gossip was that there's this great new restaurant in town. And um, and but they 
Banks are very different now, aren't they? It's not yeah. like you have a bank manager that, that, that you go to that just deals with your business. We finally got one now, but it hasn't been easy. Um, and, um, and they said no to that. And I realized then that it was always going to be difficult. Um, so, but, but Sticky started doing very well. Um, and, um, my, um, my brother, so I was talking about, I'd love to open another place so I can start promoting people. Um, and so we can just expand as people in business. And my brother said, a friend said, why don't you do crowdfunding? And I'd never heard of it. And then, um, I called my brother about it cause I ask him about a lot of things. And, um, this is Sean, Sean, my yeah. older brother. Yeah. And, um, so I called him and he, uh, he was pretty insulted, um, because he had done a crowdfunding. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty fucking successful one as well with a, with a top selling book to go with it. And I didn't know. Um, I didn't know. And uh, it was quite, yeah, he was quite insulted about it, but he knows what I'm like. So it wasn't too much of a problem. But he said, yeah, look, yeah, I've done crowdfunding. I, um, I crowdfunded my book, Letters of Note. Um, Which and, I've got on my coffee table. Oh, how fucking yeah. cool. So, um, yeah, so he, um, yeah, he explained it and then I looked into it and, um, and um, I thought that it was a fucking dumb idea, to be honest, but I quite liked that. Uh, in the UK at the time, there wasn't really any restaurants that had been crowdfunded. There was food projects, uh, street food things, but there wasn't a whole restaurant that had been crowdfunded. So I thought, it's that fucking ridiculous that I kind of like it. And I liked, yeah, I liked the idea of putting ourselves out there and telling everyone and being really honest because we'd been quite honest on social media up until then. And also... That- what I love about it, and certainly came across in the documentary, is you're letting people be a part of oh, your yeah. restaurant. They're yeah. as much they're 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 as much of it as you yeah. are in in a, in a sense. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. They've got a stake in something. Oh, definitely, and that's how they feel, and that's how it, and I want them to feel like that. And there's a massive sense of pride and almost ownership by the people that crowdfund. They're so fucking they're so proud when they go into the new restaurants and they're their names on the wall and they tell their friends, I fucking helped open that place. And Well, we only have to look at Prescott. I mean, yeah. that opening yeah. and even that first afternoon, and yeah. I can't remember offhand the the figure, but it was definitely in the 80s we, for that afternoon. Wasn't yeah, it? well, the first crowdfund we did was 100 grand. And I, because I got the 100 grand on the crowdfund on the first restaurant, I then spoke to finance companies that said they would lend me the money because I had the 100 grand. And what I realized then was that with all the restaurants, if we wanted to open more restaurants, if I could do a crowdfund, then the bank would pretty much match it. They wouldn't give me any money just, just to open, but if I had money, they'd match it. And that's, and that's what we've done. And then, so we've done, so by the time we got to Prescott, we, that was our fourth restaurant that we'd crowdfunded. And, the crowdfunding, a huge part of it is the PR. It's fucking massive. It's such an amazing way to open a restaurant because you, I could not pay a PR to get the word out about a new restaurant in a better way than I could by doing a su- successful crowdfunding. Yeah. Everyone finds out about it. So, so quickly. Well, this was the thing. So the first one was 100 grand and we did it over 30 days. And it was a big task and we succeeded it with sort of three days to go, but it was a huge effort. By the time we'd done our fourth, I was a little bit more um, confident with it. I still didn't think it would work, but I was a little bit, I guess I was just, I felt better about it and I knew it more. Well, at that point, it's, it's, it was a bit more of a tried and tested model for it was, you, wasn't it? It was. We'd done three before that, so I thought, yeah. So I thought, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest things about the crowdfunding was actually the PR as well. So 
I thought what else would be fucking great for PR would be if we bring the day down, we bring the date down instead of doing it over a month. What's the shortest time you can do it? And I had a look on TripAdvisor and I think the shortest time that you could do a project for was that was a, was 24 hours. Right. So I said, f- f- like, fuck it. Let's do it. That's a fucking ballsy move. Yeah, stupid. <laughs> so stupid. So stupid. And honestly, the people that we, that I work with, friends, family, all the guys in the restaurants just thought, what the fuck? He's we? lost it. Yeah. This, yeah, he's lost it. He's finally lost it. What are you doing? Why would you do that? Do it in a week. What's the point? Why would you do it in a day? Do it in a week. Do it in fucking three days. So, I, but I'm quite stubborn. And, um, so I said, "Fuck it, we're going to do it in a day." So we set this crowdfund. We're going to try and raise fifty thousand pounds in twenty-four hours to open a restaurant in Prescott. So there was lots of things against us. Can you just explain to the people listening? Because we've got listeners on this, like all around the world, um, and obviously, I don't want to do any place a disservice, especially in the north, because I've got a huge love for it. But we need to talk about what Prescott is. Yeah, so... If we can paint a picture there. Yeah, so Prescott is a town in Merseyside. It's Driving it would take you 15 minutes from the centre of Liverpool. Um, 20 years ago, um, there was a really great high street in Prescott, that had a bit of a hustle and bustle and everybody used to get their fish from the fishmonger, meat from the butcher. There was a cobbler's, there was all the, all the old school things that you would see on, on a little old high street. A Quality, proper independent Yeah, independence. Yeah. Independence. And um, a retail park opened about a mile away. And uh, that high street just, it suffered. It really suffered. I don't think it's offensive for me to say that because... It's still getting over it now, and it suffered. And no, I mean it's very, very clear in the documentary. Yeah, yeah it suffered. So most of those shops closed, um, and so there's lots of empty units. And uh, that high street, when I was vit- visiting Prescott at first, that high street, I would sit in that high street after sort of three o'clock in the afternoon, and like, you wouldn't see a single person. And there's a part in the documentary where. Um, Dan is filming me and he says to me and I say to him and and it's still light outside yeah it's probably about three o'clock and I and we're you know right down the end of the street I say it's that fucking quiet you can hear the cash machine and and you can <laughs> you and can the, hear you can it hear the, yeah, beep, in the, in beep, the background and yeah um so yeah and there's been you know there's been unemployment there and um and it's a fucking hard. It's a hard. It's a hard area. Yeah. But it's full of some lovely people. Yeah. But it's a hard area. Um, uh, but I was really interested in being part of what a lot of the people around there were also interested in, which was like regenerating the place and community and community. You get a real sense of that from the documentary. Yeah, and there is, and um, yeah, it's a hard area, and there's people that uh, have had some hard times there, but there's some lovely people there. And I thought, you know, to have a restaurant that could end up being like a little bit of a hubby sort of place, and and it fucking is. And you walk in, if you're in there now. Honestly, if there's two tables in there and one table walks in, they know each other. And they're like, oh, hey, Jane, or oh, hey, Steve. And they get up and hug each other and everyone knows each other. It's a hub, it's a meeting place. And it's, yeah, it's, um, I wanted to be part of that and I wanted to have a place in an area like that. I knew that Prescott was, I knew that this restaurant would never make big profits. I just needed to break even. That was only ever the goal there. But it's quite clear it wasn't about that. Yeah. You know, 
you, you yeah. get a real sense of that. Yeah. And wh- how long has it been open now? It's been open for a year now. Yeah, so going going back to that crowdfund. Yeah. So that was 50... So we aimed to open that restaurant with a £50,000 crowdfunding to achieve that in 24 hours. So we pressed go on the Kickstarter page at, at 9pm. Yeah. And I told everyone about it on social media for weeks before that we're going to do it. And we did the £50,000. We achieved that total in 59 minutes. It was fucking ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was so cra- It was so weird, a weird thing to be involved in. I didn't think it was going to work. And I thought that, although I'd set this crazy target, I thought that on the 23rd hour of it, I was going to be calling friends up saying, listen, can you dump five grand in the Kickstarter? <laughs> or phoning chefs up and asking them to talk about it, you know, yeah. big big chefs out there and asking them to talk about it. And But we did it in 59 minutes. So it was, it was just an overwhelming, incredible experience to be involved in. I mean, you do get a sense that you were you were teetering on the edge yeah. of with your nerves oh. just before you hit go so nervous so nervous about it i yeah i remember I, i'm always that nervous about it that just before we do it i'll say to whoever's around me i'm not i'm not going to do it i can't do it i'm not i'm not going to do this one and then someone by me or on the phone will say stop being a dick and just press fucking load and we, and we do it and so far it's been successful and gary are there going to be any more restaurants because you're, I mean, yeah. at the moment you're spinning a lot of plates. Yeah, I. It looks like I am, and I look like I'm a super busy person, and obviously I've got a lot going on. But um, we are surrounded by such a phenomenal team at the minute. There's 150 of us, um, and we they are phenomenal. And so while the team is still good, and while everybody still cares, there's no reason why we can't keep opening, particularly with the support of uh, crowdfunding. If we if we were to continue to try and do that, so. Yeah. I like I said to you in the, when I was talking about the business plan with my dad, and we said to open ten, it'd be fucking great to open ten, but it'd also be great to open a hundred. Um, it'd be great to open a pub. It'd be great to open a hotel. It'd be great to open in New York. I, there's no one telling us what to do. There's no one telling me what to do. I, there's no there's no rules to it. I'm making it up as I go along. I'm making loads of mistakes, but I'm having a fucking good time doing it. So. Just keep going. No, it seems to be working very well, Gary Usher. He was an absolute star. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really enjoyed that. Oh, me too. Thank, Thank you so you much man. for inviting me. Cheers. And another episode is done. Um, if you hadn't heard that before, I really hope you liked it. And uh, I tell you, I've done some quite scary things in my time, in my life, and in my career. Uh, serving up food to a renowned uh, uh, chef who is certainly uh, not backwards but coming forwards was, um, was, was up there, I must admit. Luckily, he did like my food, and uh, he, he said since that it wasn't just for the tape. He would have said, I, I, you know, I, I would want him to say. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much. And look, when your local restaurants... Can you hear that bird? That's a seagull. They woke me up at 4.30 this morning. There you go, can you hear them? Um, yeah, when you feel safe enough um, and you feel ready to go and support your local restaurants and your local pubs uh, that have been hit hard by all this, let's, you know, we, we know that... Go out there and support them. I took my mum and dad for 
their only second trip out in, in well over a year a couple of weeks ago and we went to my local pub and we had a Sunday roast dinner. I hadn't had a Sunday roast for so long and it was delicious. My mum was a bit nervous being in the pub but she soon settled in. Um, so yeah, do that but this is just a reminder really to when we feel safe enough to go and support people like Gary and your local pubs, your local restaurants who keep us fed and watered and entertained whenever we go out. And it's such a luxury, isn't it, going out? It's one of my favourite things that I've missed so, so much. But hopefully we can get back there safe and sound in the future. Um, in other news, I had my second jab on Saturday. I know. Yeah, I feel extremely lucky. Um, wherever you are, I hope you keep safe, you keep well. Um, if you're in the UK, uh, is it raining today? I think maybe... Uh, Yesterday was our last day of sunshine for a while. Um, but yeah, look, you know how to keep in touch with us. I said at the beginning, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can email. You know where I am. Come find me. And uh, if I don't speak to you, I shall definitely see you next week, next Thursday. Until then, you take care. I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. See you next week. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. <laughs>